0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're right with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome to another episode of Liberty Lockdown I have a special guest with me today His name is Dave and we will keep it at that Um, We know each other through volleyball for the past, what's it been, five years now?
1: I'd say around about that, Yeah, yeah, on and
0: off You want to keep with Dave, I assume
1: yeah yeah we'll we'll stick with Dave for now i don't uh I don't really have any major handles yet I, I'm, <laughs> I'm only now easing myself into kind of the, the social media world so
0: yeah well we got to get you one so we could uh, we can plug it at the end of the show but anyways um so it's September 12th and I wanted to talk to you because of your military service a little bit about 911 uh, about your military experience and then you know what uh, did you did you enlist i mean you're close to my age so you could have enlisted right around 9 11 yeah
1: yeah. So it was, uh, it was actually kind of interesting. I, uh, I did what was called depth in. So I, I basically signed the paperwork saying I would enlist in the, uh, in the Marine Corps, my, what was it? My sophomore year in high school. So it was, it was right before nine 11, uh, a couple years before nine 11. I mean, I'm sorry, not a couple years, a couple months before nine 11. Oh my God. Um, and so then it was interesting cause nine 11 hit and like, I was already planning on going to the Marine Corps, but then like that, that also really changed things, you know, it was like, oh, now I'm going to an entirely different Marine Corps. But then also in a way it was, uh, it was interesting because then everybody jumped on board. It was like, so, so it was like, oh, you joined the wave. And I'm like, no, no, I was already, I was already <laughs> like a plan. You know, I, was, I was already going to the Marine Corps, but I mean, 9-11 hit now.
0: You're like, I was already gung-ho. This just, yeah. Now, all, now all I'm a these thousand other times
1: more gung-ho, but like I was already gung-ho. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, did you come from a military family?
1: Uh, so my father served in the Navy, uh, but he he did four years, um, and honestly, I think it was a it was a pretty insignificant part of his life. Uh, he didn't talk about it much. Um, yeah. So otherwise, no, not not a whole lot of military service in my family.
0: Yeah, my my grandpa was in Korea, so all of his kids were super anti-war. So I think that's kind of where the libertarian strain of anti-warness started. He, uh, he had really severe PTSD, um, coming back and it was, he had a very odd life. He, he owned a drive store, a drive through liquor store in Colorado Springs, <laughs> which, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, he, he got shrapnel through his bicep in Korea and came back and he never talked about it. I, I never got to hear anything about it, but he only died a few years ago or five years ago. So I got to know him pretty well, but, uh didn't get any of the experience from it. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your actual history with it. Um, So you enlisted early 2001, were you immediately deployed? Um, No, so so basically I, I signed
1: paperwork early early 2001 and that that would have been my sophomore year in high school so then, then what you did Oh my god I didn't realize yeah, that Yeah yeah so so basically what it is is you sign you sign and and then you get you get a place like you know actually let's I have interesting kind of interesting way into the Marine Corps here sure. um, you uh, you sign up ahead of time and what they do then is they basically, you can go to the recruiting depot, you can do some training, you can kind of, you can get your pick in jobs because if, if a job's not available, they can wait until like something opens up for you. So you're, you're in what's called the delayed entry program. Um, it really did, wasn't that big of a deal for me. Uh, I kind of, I kind of hit a rough patch in high school. And once I made the decision to join the Marine Corps, that, that was it. So I kind of signed the paperwork, but I never really did anything for the program. Uh and then I did my last two years in in high school. You know, so then I graduated and I didn't actually leave for boot camp until July 2003.
0: So right as the war is peaking.
1: So yeah, right right then. So now now you can imagine, you know, you sign the paperwork in uh your sophomore year in high school. You watch the war start, you know, we hit Afghanistan, we hit Iraq, uh watch the invasion, you know, senior year in high school and then uh and then head off to boot camp.
0: Unbelievable timing.
1: Um yeah, yeah, it was it was a wild
0: time to be going through boot camp. So you were inspired to do it before 9-11. So what was the inspiration? You just, you said you were gung-ho already. So where, where did that come from?
1: Um, you know, that, that's kind of, uh, it's kind of something I've been trying to figure out myself, uh, kind of, kind of go back and figure out like, why, why did I go the military route? Cause it's, uh, it's definitely been, led me to an interesting point in life. And I think, uh, I think it was kind of a combination of, I, I didn't have a whole lot of structure growing up. Sure. Um.
0: I think that's a common reason.
1: uh, Yeah, and and you know, I was given lots of opportunities, but I never really learned like what like hard work, like how do you actually close out something? How do you like get somewhere? Um, So I kind of was just very adrift. Yeah, and and I read a lot. I read a whole lot of books. Mm. Um, And I remember getting very very into uh, like military history. That's Um, that's why we
0: call you sexy teacher, Dave. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A
1: lot of uh, of this guy named Stephen Pressfield. He was actually. you know, if you think about the movie Three Hundred, like this was well before like Three Hundred was cool. This dude, Stephen Pressfield, had a book on the Spartans, and like all of that got me very, very into the military. Um, and then it kind of just became the the easy button, to be honest. Um, I was like, why not? I know that I won't make it in college right now. I don't, I don't really have the discipline, sure. So let's let's enlist in the military.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's fair. I mean, I think oftentimes people that decide it that early on is coming from a family of soldiers where it's like my grandpa my grandpa's grandpa my dad's dad you know um so the fact that your dad even though he served it was not a big thing to him it's interesting that you still felt that calling i i had a few friends um particularly after 911 or no actually it was same as you it was like the summer prior to 911 they they wanted to um they were getting picked up by recruiters cuz we were all that age range you know i think they went to like the mall or something totally and yeah. someone someone offered them like 2500 bucks and then a thousand bucks a month to be a reserve and and they're like clint we haven't been to war in fucking decades dude like you really think there's something that could pop off and i'm like yeah yeah i do there's absolutely <laughs> a chance that something <laughs> right? could pop off and then uh i i barely by the skin of my teeth i talked them out of it and then sure enough like three months later <laughs> it happens and they're like they both came to me like yeah, we would have been in Iraq right now. Like thank you for talking us out, but I'm glad that there's people like you that that went there willingly and and that was the path for you. Um so your your first deployment was in Afghanistan, was it? No. So uh you know, actually like let's let's kind of rewind it cuz the uh sure, the sure. whole even even the enlisting
1: of of mine was a little bit interesting and then I think oh, yeah, uh, please I think take it's your time. it's uh, it kind of gives some context to uh to kind of where we where we could end up a little bit later in this story. Sure. Um it was cool because when I enlisted, I was, I was very lucky. I uh, I had a good recruiter who got me a very good job because um, I I did fairly well on the entrance exam. So when I left for boot camp, I was signed up for what was called uniform whiskey. So it was uh, it was this presidential guard. Um, it was like if you if you watch on the uh, on the TV, you know the ones in front of the White House. So, oh, so wow. I left for boot camp with the expectation that hey, this this is what I was doing. It's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, yeah. Got to boot camp, and then they have this moment that's called the moment of truth. And anybody out there, any of your listeners who, uh, who are in the military, spe- specifically in the Marine Corps, they know, they know about this moment of truth. And it's when, when all the drill instructors are yelling at you, and they're asking, like, hey, did you lie about anything? Did you lie about anything when you signed your paperwork? And now, now picture, you know, you're signing this when you're a sophomore in high school. So, you know, I'm, what, like 15 and a half? Like, yeah. and you're signing away, like, four years of your life at 15 and a half. So, so crazy. you know, I, yeah, decision-making, then, is not, not quite up to par. Um, so what you end up doing is you get pulled in this room and you get questioned, like, do you lie about anything? Well, I get pulled into the room and here I am getting ready to, you know, go supposedly protect the president, you know, is what, what the recruiter has told me. And I'm excited about it. I, I'm now like, what am I? 17 and a half going on 18. Yeah. Pretty cool. And they asked me, so you don't have any drug use. There's no drug use in your, in your record book, right? You're going for this, uh, presidential security guard job well so i may have smoked a little pot in high school like i smoked a little oh, pot shit. and i remember i looked over and there was this uh it was probably a fairly young marine at the time like he'd been through boot camp but contextually speaking he was a lot older than me yeah and he just looks up and like locks eyes on me and i'm this recruit you know i've, I've been <laughs> in boot camp for one of three months i haven't slept in probably three days and he just like shakes his head it's like wrong and, answer dude <laughs> yeah and it is big. it's big is probably a master sergeant you know this. Older guy, he opens my record book and he's like, oh, "Thank you very much." Pulls out this marker <laughs> and writes "void" oh in every page of my record book. Oh my god! And he hands it back to me and he's like, "Congratulations, recruit! You're now open contract." Oh, oh. So now, now what this means in in the military is now they can give me any job they want. So now you know, I'm I'm 18 years old. I've signed away four years of my life. A month into the three month boot camp of the Marine Corps and. I don't know what my job's going to be. Ugh. Um, and, and by the way, I aced the entrance exam. Like, I I'm not bragging about it because trust me, I did plenty of self-destructive things to make up for that. Um, <laughs> but like, I aced it and now I don't have a job in the Marine Corps. Right. So long story short, I uh, had some people that looked out for me. I ended up getting this job as a, as a stinger gunner is what it was called. And basically you shoot these shoulder fired missiles at uh, aircraft. Right. Sounds, sounds like a super cool job. Right? Yeah. I find this out at boot camp. It's called called Lad Gunner, and I'm like, all right, this, this might be an okay job. Fast forward like six months. I've gone through this schoolhouse in El Paso, Texas, and now I'm sitting in Okinawa, Japan. All right, this is now 2004. The war is in full swing. Yep. I am doing nothing.
0: (laughs) Nothing. And one thing I've learned about Marines, you guys are upset when you're not doing anything.
1: Yes. I mean, like, no, I literally, I have friends from high school that enlisted the exact same time as me and they are in Iraq right now and they are like running and gunning. And, you know, at, at that age, like, that's exactly what you want, you know. It's you've so, you've enlisted
0: so, in the Marine Corps. It's unimaginable, and, to, to yeah. Some and i like, like twiddling
1: my thumbs, like. <laughs> but then context- I'd be
0: stoked to be in Okinawa. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I was just gonna say, but again, contextually, it was cool. I was sitting on these mountaintops in this forest, like watching aircraft go overhead, like yeah. practicing, like shooting missiles at them. Like, you know, it's pretty cool, but not, not, not the time for me.
0: Yeah. Well, can you? I mean, can you practice shooting missiles, or is it just all? It's all just targeting, and then you just don't fire.
1: Uh. So I, I had, I was given. I think two opportunities because the, the missiles are very expensive. Uh, I mean, like, like we're talking like thousands, thousands of dollars I'm per sure. missile. So yeah, you can't like a, like a class of 30 students to like just shoot one missile. Like yeah. to So I think I, I shot like two in real life. Wow. Uh, and and they're not, not an aircraft, like, obviously. Not in a real aircraft. What they had is they called them uh, like fifth scales and they were they like fifth the size. Like picture a massive model airplane. Okay. They would like fly over the ocean and then you would take this thing. I mean, I,
0: Do you blow them up? Yeah, I mean, you blow them up. Oh, wow. like, yeah, I
1: mean, like looking back at it, like, it was cool, but it's not cool when the rest of the Marine Corps is at war.
0: Yeah, well, you know, comparatively. Uh, um, so where, where does it go next?
1: Uh so from there, uh, oh, what, what What was that? In Okinawa for for two years. So I extended in Okinawa wow. to uh, That's try a long and, time. I, yeah, I, uh, I extended there to try and get on what was called a Marine Expeditionary Unit.
0: We got any mini half Asian Daves running around?
1: Uh, no, <laughs> I, I oh, I thankfully no. I mean, not not that I know of. I, you, you know, that is one thing that I'm pretty happy about over the duration of my military career. I made a lot of mistakes, but uh, like morally, I kept myself pretty clean. That's, that's incredible. Um, I, I know. Like, I don't, I don't know how. I, mean, I think I hit all the wickets on everything else. So, like, I don't know. Some, some, the universe just gave me a buy on that one. Like,
0: somehow, like, yeah. Well, that's good. So, so, after Japan, where'd you head next? So,
1: from Japan, I ended up out here at Camp Pendleton. Um, and that, that's where like, life like, kind of got interesting. I went from, from a lot of training um, and then I landed over here with the same type of unit, uh, that, that same type of mission uh, to shoot down, down aircraft, but out here at Pendleton they were much more engaged in the deployments to Iraq. So I got out here and I'd been approved for a, a change in jobs. Um, at that point I decided to re-enlist. I'd, I'd gotten approved to get out of that current job. I didn't particularly enjoy it in the Marine Corps. And getting another one that was a little bit more fulfilling um upon arrival in california you know the marine corps is a uh it's a big beast and she gets what she wants my current unit was getting ready to deploy and so they grabbed me and they said that that's nice you are approved for this job change but you're gonna go ahead and go to iraq with us and maybe we'll send you back when that job change is like actually approved wow uh yeah that approval was supposed to come a month later we were supposed to be deployed for eight months you know you do the math i knew i wasn't coming back from iraq but you know, we're going to do that deployment, and then I would change jobs when I got back.
0: And are you getting switched from teams when you go to different places? I assume, or do um, you, or do you move with yeah, the? Yeah, I,
1: I feel like I'm. I'm. I'm not articulating this very well.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I just don't have any. Any. Yeah. Background no. No. It, no. So. Uh,
1: so, I had done at that point. I spent two years in Okinawa. So then, at, at that point, I was. I was getting ready to make a decision whether I was going to stay in the Marine
0: Corps or not. Okay, so you can um, you get to decide to reenlist.
1: You get to decide to re-enlist, okay. yeah, and then once you hit like a little bit over two years, like a window opens and you can kind of start like like moving the ball on if you want to reenlist. Also, if you want to like change jobs or do anything else, you've done you know you, if you've done your time, then and you've done it well, like you know other opportunities open up. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go from this this current job. It wasn't very fulfilling for me. It was you know it wasn't bad. It made me who I was in the Marine Corps. I wanted to go do something else. Sure. I'd gotten approved for that right before I got orders to leave Okinawa and then go to uh, California. Right, so Camp Pendleton. When I got to Camp Pendleton, that current unit, so different unit than Okinawa, same job specialty, like the current job, the one the one that I'd gotten out of boot camp. They were getting ready to go to Iraq. I had not been to Iraq at that point. Um, at that point, I had been to Okinawa. I'd spent some time in the Philippines. Uh, I'd done some stuff on Wake Island. But everything had been training, um, you know, up, up to that point, right. which was good. You know, it was great. Like, you know, it's part of the Marine Corps. That's a lot it's, of training. Yeah, it's it's very, very big deal. It's been a large part of my life. Um, but these guys were getting ready to go to Iraq. And at that had, point... Had they been? Uh, that unit had been a few times at that point. Wow. So you were with uh, some vets.
0: Like I was with some vets. vets.
1: I was brand new. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But the thing was, they hadn't actually... so. They had deployed, but it's it's very interesting. All all when we say like we went on deployment, that means a lot of different things. Um, this particular unit was getting ready to deploy and knew it was called Provost Marshal's Office for for a couple bases. They were going to be PMO, um, which essentially meant they were going to be cops on these bases. Okay. Uh, now you can
0: imagine if sounds if, like the job that people probably wouldn't like.
1: Right. Like, necessary job. Yeah. You know, you're on, you're on a military base in, say, Iraq. You know, these bases are getting very big. We've been at war for, you know, four or five years now. Like, they get very big. You can, those can get chaotic. Like, right. you got to have the police. No,
0: it's necessary. It's just, it seems like you would probably not be looked upon the most highly by the yeah, other guys there. no. Yeah.
1: Like, let's be honest. The job kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so, I, I'd come from Okinawa and now landed in this new unit in California, expecting that I was going to get to do a job change. And then sat down in front of you know some of the senior people over there, and I'm still very young in the Marine Corps. You know, I'm still kind of baby jarhead. I don't really have a lot of weight to throw around.
0: And you're probably what twenty three?
1: Uh this would have been at that uh, twenty two, yeah. Jeez, yeah, no, 23, 23 yeah. Yeah, just a so twenty three years old, just got to California, um, and they look at me and they say, "Well, we need you on the deployment because it's a numbers game. You know, the Marine Corps, is, it's mission first. You know, troops yep. later." And I'm like, okay, that's so be it. I'm I'm with you. I get to go to Iraq. Right. Uh so thankfully when I got over there, I did get grabbed to go do uh this personal security detail for, for what was called the wing commander. Okay, and actually uh let me let me back that up a little bit and kind of kinda of clarify that whole whole first deployment experience. Sure. I think it's uh as Warren said, I I forget that that was my real first deployment to war. You know, um, kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I did it five more times after that. So like for your viewers <laughs> that don't know me, like I, I'm kind I of not rewinding you, in time. I didn't know
0: you went that many times.
1: Uh, yeah, so, wow. I, so I did I did three to Iraq and then uh, three to Afghanistan. I, that was all in a little less than ten years. So wow, if you do the math on like a seven to eight month deployment. You know, it's busy ten years. Unbelievable. Um, but that was my first time. And I remember the unit I was with had actually now, I, I correct what I said earlier. This was, I believe, their first time deploying to Iraq as an entire unit. Um, so nobody really knew like, what, what we were doing. Um, yeah. And the problem with like when nobody really knows what they're doing in the Marine Corps, if you, if you don't have people who are willing to like, kind of take a step back and be like, oh, I don't know what we're doing, what you end up with is people like just faking very hard they know what they're doing. <laughs>
0: In in a life and death scenario, that may not be ideal. Yeah, thinking
1: very hard, like, you know what you're doing when you're going into Iraq. Like, you know, it just leads for some very interesting moments. I'd I'd imagine. Um, And so at that point, we were also, so we were taking commercial aircraft over. Okay. Um, So that was, that was an interesting fact. So you can imagine. Is that normal? uh, At that point, it was. At that point, it definitely was. We didn't have, I think what it was, we really just didn't have the the logistical lift capabilities. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I've. I think that has to have been it. Okay. Uh, cause I, I, yeah, I look, I look, later in life and later in life, later deployments, everybody was going over on military aircraft. So I don't know if it was bases, whatever, but
0: cause as a civilian, I've always wondered, I'm like, does the military, you know, do they like get taken over on ships? Do they get flown over commercially? Do they? I don't know. Do they go on a you know B fifty two? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a great. So yeah, dude, please like check me on those ones. when I like well, assume that uh... that's what I'm. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to ask the normal people questions because yeah. a lot of it's going to be uh, a given to you. You know.
1: Yeah. No. I I remember on that first one, it was very surreal because there were actually like uh, flight attendants. and i mean host like 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 a normal aircraft are you guys are
0: you guys in your fatigues
1: and we're in our fatigues and you have packs and you have your rifles and and your rifles on the plane oh yeah yeah on this first (laughs) yep definitely on the plane under the seats in front of you and anybody anybody who like did quite a few deployments i'm sure they had one or two experiences where the thing was always the knives um (laughs) every time you got on any of these planes they wanted everybody's knives and you would look around and you'd be like wait a second like I literally have, like, I'm holding an M16. You know, yeah. this is before everybody had M4s. I have an M16 in my hand and you want my foldable knife. <laughs> and you had to do it. Wow. And then it was like, roll the dice whether well, you got your knife back because you, know, you have like 100 people getting on the plane and everybody
0: so. So you're, you're on the plane with normal people too, not just soldiers? No, 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 no. Oh, okay.
1: The government got, got the whole plane.
0: Then why do they want your knife? They think the soldiers exactly. got that? I don't know. Wow. Surreal, surreal
1: moments. That's the truth. So, so we get on these planes, right? We land in Iraq. All right. Now, Now nobody with us had really been to Iraq at that point, so we we get there and we kind of get on these buses. And if you if you ever like see the movies, land on these giant tarmacs, like it's it's pretty accurate at that point. You know, we got pretty good representations of it. But then we get off the buses and we fall straight into like the normal military. So we start getting into these formations. And I'm I'm a junior marine at this point, so like I'm I'm not in charge of anything. You know, I'm just there like yeah. They're They're telling me to get in a box, basically. You see the box in the movies? They're telling us to get in that box. So we get in this box and we start marching and it's called formation. Sure. And next thing these people are like running by us screaming at us and they're like what are you doing? Get out of formation! And we kind of look around and then we realize like oh we're we're in Iraq. Like there's mortars, and there's rockets, oh, and like wow. walking around in the military formation box is probably frowned upon because if you, one lands in the middle of you, like that's a problem. Yeah, so are so you it, in the
0: green zone, so to speak? No, no, this was.
1: Uh, where were we at that point? I, I think that point we were in Al assad Iraq. So okay. it was a very like it was Saddam's uh, kind of air force base. So okay. it was out in the middle of Saddam's already desert. been toppled by then. He'd been toppled. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I missed the invasion. I missed all of. Uh, so this this would have been uh when was this this would have been oh six so so i had been in okinawa and not like i had a lot of fomo a whole lot of fomo if i'm honest i have to be honest with myself nowadays because yeah. i missed i missed phantom fury i missed the invasion i missed you know all of these big ticket iraq fights um and then i landed do, do you regret that not anymore sure uh
0: in, in the moment, I'm sure you did. But in the moment, at the time, in hindsight was, maybe I, not so At much. the
1: time, I was I, I was probably like a, quite a disgruntled marine, you know, because I, I was with this, this unit that I didn't didn't particularly enjoy being with, you know. I right. I had gotten to Iraq when I really wanted this job change, but like ended up in Iraq doing a job I really didn't want. But then it was also the Marine Corps, and you can't really like if you misbehave, you know, that's like you don't get where you want to go. Like it's all about like doing what you're told, so you, sure. you kind of have to mind your p's and q's while not really liking the job. Right. So then we're in Iraq, and we got this job of let's drive around in these Humvees, like you know Hummers. You picture the military Hummers, like yep. same same thing. Yep. Drive around in these ones that have PMO written on the side of them for Provost Marshal's Office, mm. and pull over other Marines and everybody on these bases if they're going over whatever the prescribed speed limit is. So you can imagine You can, you can imagine fucking traffic now. cops. Yeah, I got, you know, 20, what is it, 23-year-old 20, Dave, like, just first time in Iraq, yes, <laughs> I have waited. I've been in Okinawa for two years. I get to Iraq, and they put you in a cop car, and they say, go pull over the other Marines if they run that stop sign there. Oh, my God. And we're out in the middle of the desert on Saddam's, like, base that, like, nobody's, so anybody that comes within, like, 10 kilometers of us is, that you see them because it's open desert. Right. And, you know, we own the night, we own, like, radar, we own all that, all that stuff, so... Like relatively speaking it was a very low risk. Right. And then also like just kind of annoying job.
0: Yeah, for sure. And this is maybe a dumb question. Do you ticket them?
1: Uh I mean I mean yes, so it's it's another interesting microcosm of how long we were at war at that point is we had so much infrastructure over there, and and you know so many bodies and things that you you need a level of like judicial. Yeah, you gotta you know, create like, a, like city. a court system. You have a small city, yeah, you also because right. c- you have hundreds and hundreds of people there. You've sure. now you've now brought like you imagine all of those actual like armed forces, and then all the logistical backup that it takes to run the you know the American military, like you know, lots of people.
0: It's a big deal, yeah.
1: So, moral of the story is yes, you gave them a <laughs> ticket, and there was like a judge and and you could get your license taken away from you Holy and you weren't shit. allowed to like drive anymore on base. Oh my god. But like you're in combat. Like you have to go on missions. Like you can't.
0: You're over there risking so your life but I, you can't I mean, drive anymore. Yeah.
1: So like just super surreal at like first. So I did that for a couple months and then uh, and then I got called up and they said uh, you know at that point they looked at me and they were like, "Hey, we got this interview for this other job. You want to go interview with the, uh, the base sergeant major. So this is like, this is like a big dude. He's in charge of the base, uh, and on you're the like, listed side. Yeah, I'd imagine. yeah. I was like, yes, please. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'll go sit in front of him and like chat. Sure. Right. Um, and I, again, like I was still very junior at this point. Um, I think I was, I was, uh, for anybody out there who's familiar, I was, I was a corporal, um, uh, maybe looking at picking up sergeant soon. So I didn't really have that much authority. Um, Anyways, got in front of the sergeant major. Uh, we clicked. It went well, and so I got picked to then go to the personal security detail for what was called the uh, the wing commander at the time. Um, and what that what that title means is it's the individual who was in charge of all of the Marine aircraft in uh, in like Al Anbar province, so Iraq at the time. So it kind of it, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, he would control like hey, how many helicopters go where all all of these things. I didn't really understand that at the time. I was so junior, you know, I was, I was just I drove a car. Right. Um super cush job because we were on this Saddam's Air Force base. No real threat. Right. So we had suburbans. I drove not armored, like just a suburban. Wow. So I got to drive a suburban around the base. I got to meet people like Donald Rumsfeld. I oh, got wow. to meet uh Chuck Norris <laughs> uh, That's awesome. And I got to hang out with all these full-board colonels who'd been in the Marine Corps for eternity and like listen to all their war stories.
0: Awesome. So, all of a sudden,
1: like, deployment went from, like, this oh my god, I'm like pulling people over, and this is really bad, to like, I kind of have a cush job, yeah. And, like, I, and I also get to like experience this side that I never saw before because, like, I was enlisted, and now these are like senior officers who I was pretty good at just kind of being a wallflower and and like listening to their war stories. That's so that's wild. That deployment got a little bit better, uh, finished out that one. Uh, no, I mean, kind of like. I don't know. In my mind, it was kind of an insignificant deployment. I I, I really, I spent a lot of time going to the gym. Uh, I spent a lot of time driving a nice vehicle. Um, I did what I was told. I minded my P's and Q's. I never saw any combat. Like, I never even, I don't I don't even think, like, we got any rocket calls while I was there. Wow. Um,
0: And I think that's important (sighs) because,
1: yeah, I think, think, and it's important to, like, kind of before you even go on that kind of, Talk about everybody's experience is so much different when we talk about deployments and like Iraq and Afghanistan. And like that was, I could have potentially gotten out of the military after that deployment. And you know, that, that would have been my time in the military, which would have been kind of crazy for me. I, you know, I went on and and did a couple more deployments, you know, whatever. But I think we often don't acknowledge that, like everybody's deployments, everybody's like military service is so varied. We kind of always like put it in the box of like, yo, know, you either like went and you like went to combat or like right. you didn't go to combat. Yep. And I think it's it's easy to overlook that. Like it's kind of out of out of people's control. You oh, know? of course. So yeah, this, this, isn't pointed at this is not important to you. It's probably this is probably me projecting my own uh, my own views on like. No, like it's important to clarify that,
0: because there's a lot of people that really they just think of like, okay, when did you serve? Were we at war, oh, then you saw combat like that's kind of automatically exactly. yeah. assumed whereas i I now know enough Marines through my libertarian networking um, to know that that's very much not the case like these three guys they do biting the bullet, two of them um didn't saw no combat as far as I know, and then one of them saw a ton so it's tremendously different and they're all like best friends, but they're all equally anti war now so
1: yeah no i I love it and and i I think the the really important piece on that is like to remember that it, like everybody's experience is equal across the board you know like some some people went over there and they did exactly what i did you know drove a suburban or something and something happened that keyed off something and they come back from that experience and they're like hey this has affected me in this like this certain way mm-hmm. and i think it's very easy for us to look like somebody like myself it's very easy to flip the switch on that and be like ah oh, you drove a suburban like you know I, I went on to do like five other deployments and like did x y and z why was that so dip i don't do that anymore because like to each their own experience and and sure. we often kind of i don't know blanket all of that these days
0: Yeah well I, I you know I try not to place any judgment given that I didn't serve at all so I the only the only kind of analysis that I get into is the more macro analysis not the individual soldier's experience but like whether or not the war was a good idea you know ah, like yes. those those are the topics that all I will step into even though again i have no military experience but i think that it's it's a discussion that all americans should be having at some point in their lives because otherwise we're just uh, a war machine that does whatever it wants and, no i love it you know, i love it and none Dude, of us ever talk about language it. yeah yeah so anyways uh next deployment where, where'd you head yeah off let's
1: to? let's see where we're around there let's 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 get through the deployments that way we can get on to talking about yeah is war worth it
0: and like yeah. topics like that oh for sure oh and, uh, and by the way uh dave's experience it, it gets increasing increasingly more intense so hang in there we'll we'll get to the <laughs> yeah I, I, the i'm realizing
1: stuff. as i do this hey hey, full disclosure folks this is like my first podcast and i'm i'm, I'm quite wordy this is what i'm <laughs> finding out please so don't be uh, don't be we'll, we'll get this a little more concise so i did that deployment i came back and at that point then i uh you know i got to to do my job change and that was really what i was looking forward to came back from uh from that first deployment to iraq and got to go to another schoolhouse got to go to some other training and then fast forward probably was it, nine months to a year and i found myself back in iraq um and this time i found myself getting to work with the iraqi police um in some what was called bilateral programs so now i kind of went from ironic actually not that really i think about it i went from the base police this massive base to uh Actually being on a small team that then got to go out and work with the different sections of these Iraqi police to kind of try and tie them into government and kind of increase their, their capacity. Um, I forget the specific words we used at the time. But sure. uh, much more, you know, kind of much more fulfilling. Uh, still no, no real combat um, at this point. The This was... 07, so really like Western Iraq at that point had calmed down a lot. Um, there had been a lot of fighting there, like 05, 06. There was still still a lot of stuff going on in like big cities like Fallujah, right? Uh, but I was kind of on the outskirts, uh, so relatively calm deployment, uh, but kind of cool because I got to go go work with the Iraqi police. I got to kind of see the way the Iraqi justice system worked. Um, our team was attached to folks from the army, so that was that was interesting also because I'd gone from you know. Only seeing Marine Corps at that point to to being attached to these army reservists um, and then kind of what we were responsible for at that time also was talking to both the police and then kind of the army folks we were with and being like hey what what are you seeing what you know how are these things affecting the area you know how how are the police doing all these different things and then getting that in writing and getting that up as as actual reports mm-hmm. um, so so it kind of went from from a very narrow focused job before kind of as, as that, you know, I just drive a suburban, I just kind of, this is my personal security To Okay. I'm responsible for, you know, five different Iraqi police stations now and sitting down with their police chiefs and kind of like working through, Hey, do you have your logistics? Do you have your resources? Do you have enough troops? Like how do you, do you even know where the enemy is? Um, and yeah, so,
0: so that was kind of a cool transition at that point. So is that that's Oh seven. When was the surge? So to speak, do you remember? Uh, I don't even know oh if you guys man. speak of it in that, that term.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like
0: I, again full full disclosure to your
1: listeners. I have burnt a lot of my brain at this <laughs> point. Uh, I, I no okay, I don't, I don't, it remember. wasn't then, but I no. think it was like oh eight oh nine somewhere yeah. in
0: that range. But yep. um, all right, so what's your next one? So, so that, that was, that was cool deployment. Got to kind of work yeah. with the Iraqi police. Feel, uh, feeling better about that one.
1: I feel, I feel much, much better about that one. Uh, came back from that. And I, I remember I got back and I was actually, I went, went home to Arizona and I was on leave. So I literally had only been back at that point. Basically you, you come back from a deployment and you've got some logistical stuff you have to do. You know, you've been gone for seven to eight months. You kind of have to like turn gear in and you know, some paperwork and you know, they got pretty good at that point at making sure like, Hey, you're not, you're not like, too stressed out from deployment Um, so you take care of all that stuff. And then you generally get like a month off. You have an option to take up to a month off. So, excuse me. So at that point I was home. I remember I was driving on leave in Arizona. So it had to have been within, you know, 40 days, like no more than 40 days of coming home from Iraq. And I look at my phone and it's this text message and it's from this Lieutenant. I, I don't know who this Lieutenant is. And it's very, very excited, and it tells me that I'm going to be his team chief for the next team, and we're getting ready to deploy, and he would love to see me in the office on Monday, because we're supposed to be out the door wow. in, like, two months. Wow. Uh, bless his soul. He, he did not, like, mean to do anything bad. He had been assigned, like, a team chief, and he didn't know who I was, and he didn't realize that, I like, I'd gotten back, like, what's... With- so, moral of the story, I, I didn't respond to that text. Took the rest of my leave. Uh, okay. Yeah. Got back to California, and then, you know, a series of circumstances. Was back in Iraq, I think, uh, four and a half months later or five months later. Um, same type of team at that point, but then, run, then running the team from a from a team chief capacity. So, we actually, we had a couple officers that kind of split responsibility for that, and then, then I was kind of the team chief, which means, like, an operational administrative uh boss of some of the marines. Okay. So that was a quick interesting uh kind of transition. Yeah. And I got I remember I remember I was in a different part of Iraq, but kind of kind of similar, and I had somebody on my team that had been on my team with me the, the deployment before that who also did the quick turn and burn and we were sitting there at the time I uh I was smoking these Royale cigarettes. They're horrible Iraqi cigarettes. Um, <laughs> I I was a, I was a total anti-tobacco anti-smoker completely until I was I don't know uh halfway through my first deployment.
0: <laughs> You're just bored to death.
1: And I bored to death and it was a cool thing to do. The Iraqi police all smoked and you know had yeah. peer pressure. That's it. It's cool, man. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: were, were I, you I, drinking and partying pretty hard too or no?
1: Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, okay. I mean I at at that point I was on a I was on a that's a cycle that that would take me, you know, a couple of years to get out of of like let's go on deployment, let's come back from deployment, let's spend a lot of money, let's party, let's get back on deployment. Uh Right. And like, let's just keep that up because it kind of works. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I remember sitting at this picnic table on one of the big bases that we were passing through and like pulling out this pack of Royale cigarettes that me and my, my buddy Handy was his nickname had gotten. And we light it. We looked at each other. and We're like, bro, were we just here? I'm like, yeah, we, we were just here. <laughs> and so we, uh.
0: Wait, like as in this was where you were on the prior deployment? Yeah. Like just okay. passing
1: through, like literally sitting at that picnic bench, but like. I mean, four, four and a half months earlier. Oh my God. And I mean, at, at that point, like the, I mean, it was the entire Marine Corps was just deploying so often, like everybody was getting burnt out I, I and mean, they, they tried to keep it at a cycle, but it was, uh, you know, it was the needs of the Marine Corps. Yeah. Sounds like um, groundhog day a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Like groundhog day. So that deployment was a uh, much more of an administrative deployment. Still, still no combat. Um, you know, it's still uh, safe on a base, relatively speaking Would drive missions between bases but again from like uh like your traditional like did you see combat not really one of those deployments sure. um very interesting from the standpoint that it was as we were closing down bases in iraq um so it was the the base we were actually on it was called Baharia, and it was actually where saddam's sons uday and Hussein, uh, yeah it was like their little palace uh Area that we had taken over and made a base out of.
0: Well, what was that palace like, or was it destroyed by the time we took it?
1: Uh, it was. So there was a lake called Bahariya Lake, and there was like there was still like some remaining palace esque things out there. I, I don't particularly remember, but. It was kind of creepy because it was rumored that, like, that's where they would take their concubines and stuff. Yep. And then they would just off them and, like, toss them in a lake. And there was a bunch of – creep. like, there's lots of rumors. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really doubt it.
0: Um, I, I wouldn't either. I've heard horrible stories about them. But I, I'm always doubtful when it comes to war propaganda. So did you ever get any confirmation that they were actually doing evil shit like that? You know, I concur with you on, like, being –
1: Skeptical, skeptical. <laughs> yes, I like that word. I like, I like skeptical. I'm a skeptic. It's not that um, I don't believe it. It's just I don't know. Cause... Yeah, no, no. And and like specifically, like my one of one of the, our responsibilities in the Marine Corps, like our specific job, in terms of like writing reports and things, um, had had to do with like debriefing individuals and like getting their accounts on things that happened, right. and which then it made it very important to like all through your schooling and your training and whatnot to be like, hey, you need to be able to discern the difference between like. Hey, what is fact? Yeah. And like, what are people's own subjective opinions? Yeah. You you got to get,
0: you got to get real Intel. And,
1: uh, yes. And you know, if you, if you really like rewind and you unpack the entire Iraq, um, the curveball and like the reason we invaded and stuff. I mean, it's honestly, it's a, it's a textbook lesson on like what not to do on information. (laughs) Um, I, I hate to say it. Um,
0: Well, that's a, that's a, we'll take a quick sidetrack here. Um, you know most people's perspective, especially the anti war crowd is that the the Intel wasn't just faulty but that it was manipulated to enable us to go into Iraq even though they had nothing to do with nine eleven What's your opinion in hindsight
1: oh, God. in hindsight like honestly i do you I think it was ba- i don't
0: even i don't even think it matters no i agree but no I- no 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 like, <laughs> I, like and i'm not-
1: I'm not trying to dodge the question I just like it hurts me to even try and wrap my head around it, because like <laughs> we've done so many things wrong. Like, oh, that's fair. That's... Yeah, and 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 it, like, it, it, I I know like everybody out there is gonna think like this sounded like I'm dodging it, but I I don't
0: know like. No, no, no. It. I didn't. I didn't know if you would know either. It's just that, um, you know, it's. I think that's kind of a deep deeper question for the next war. You know, like because there are so many examples of faulty. If you're going to be nice, say it's faulty intelligence that leads us to war. Uh, I would. I think it's important that at some point we hold those people accountable. If it is in fact just bad intelligence work, or if it's malicious intent and uh, you know an intentional unnecessary war for other nefarious purposes, and I, I don't know which it is, but I would love to know. <laughs> you know I would t- Absolutely, yeah. Because and- we 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 cost ourselves a ton of blood and treasure for. What amounts to...
1: Oh, my God. I mean, I mean we, we, we still are. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, no. Yeah. Let's, it's not, let's it's be not over. Honest. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, we just kind of have forgotten about it. Yeah. We, because we, America, we have... <laughs> the world is ending in so many other ways for us right now. That we're,
0: we... <laughs> we're days away from the 19th anniversary of starting the Afghanistan war. So Fact. And uh, I think 17 years in Iraq. So, it's it's wild. I mean, people forget that, too, that we went to Iraq quite a, quite a bit after Afghanistan. So, it was like we knew... Where the guys that we were actually targeting were at, or you know, even though many of them were from Saudi Arabia, which is another whole story, um, I just think it's so interesting that we ended up in two places, neither of which did those guys come from. But at least in Afghanistan, we were on the hunt for the actual culprits. Whereas in Iraq, it was like <laughs> Saddam was saying that fucking nothing to do. He was yeah. the enemy of these guys. Oh. It's very, it's very confusing to an outsider looking in.
1: No, I mean it's it's confusing to me, and I was like. And you were there, yeah, and I and I was getting ready, like getting ready to join, and then I was joining, and then I was there, and and like and I I don't know. Um, did
0: did you did you have any, I guess, uh, anger towards the towards the military for for the? I mean, I guess first off, when did you realize that there was no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq? Do you, uh... do you remember? Or did well, it, even, I, did it even matter?
1: I was gonna say, uh, yeah, I like that you slid in that. That's the assumption is that there there were definitely not any.
0: Well, um, that's what a lot of people say uh, now. No,
1: I and and I will not dispute them. <laughs> that that little phrase there. Don't think people that I was trying to dispute that. It was a joke. <laughs> I uh, I oh man, like bro, my soul hurts so bad for all of the idiot things that we've done. That like oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I like that was that's a strong word. I think words are important. Like, like we have just like. Then I think we get to a point where it's, it's, it's just like, let's hold people accountable, but like, let's look at like, if we even have the same frame of reference anymore, or if we just like turn the page at this point.
0: Well, it, can you, can you turn the page I, if I, the I book's still know. open? I mean, I, I know.
1: Then that's, that's, that's what like, what I cringe about. Like, I don't know if we can, or I don't know if we have another option. Cause I, yeah. I don't, like, you know, everybody's been throwing knives at each other over all of this stuff for so long right. that it's like. Can we even put them down? What are we well, just like, you
0: know? All, all the people that were really responsible, not all, but most are out of politics now because it's, right. been, it's yeah, been 20 yeah, years. Exactly, yeah. I mean, But it's just, I think that it's important. Well, well, it's certainly important to move forward. If you don't move forward with some analysis of the mistakes that led us into that war, I think is, is a mistake too. So it's you got to find a balance though. Like I don't, I don't want to um, live in the past, but I also don't want to repeat our mistakes. So that's always my concern with it
1: no absolutely and and i will you know i will i will blatantly say that the world of politics and all of that like a, at a strategic level is like well beyond any of my experience so so all of this is just me spitballing that would be the equivalent of you know like me trying to step into the economic realm and you know go toe-to-toe with you and i just i'm out of my league (laughs) like i'm a people person i'm a tactical level like you know
0: oh it's fine and yeah uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna challenge you to any economic debates even though i'm sure you do fine um so what's the uh the next deployment after that one
1: oh let's see so we we left off uh closing down shop in iraq uh that that was that was interesting because that really was um we left Baharia, and then we went over to Fallujah and like Fallujah, you know, Fallujah was fairly significant in Iraq. That was known for being pretty uh, hot for a while. It, it was. That was, a uh, you know, big Phantom Fury. That was, you know, the, the bridges were in Fallujah. Um, yep. if you remember the contractors that got strung up. Um, oh, so man. all fairly, fairly significant.
0: Scene. I remember we seeing were, those photos.
1: Yeah, we were, so we were closing that base down also, uh, so, leaving Iraq, and then I came back, and I departed the unit I was with, and then I was fortunate enough that then I moved over into the Marine Special Operations community. Um, that should have, that was what, that was like 08, 09. So, at that point, a little, I mean, contextual history, uh, the Marines had never really joined the, the SOCOM, the Special Operations realm. Uh, intentionally, you know, the, and now we're talking about your your Navy SEALs, your Army SF, your Army Rangers, you know, your your paratroopers in the Air Force. Uh, Marines had never never had one of those. Like, we hadn't had a Navy SEAL equivalent. Uh, Marine Corps had done this on purpose, because once you go over to SOCOM, they own you. So the Marine Corps is very jealous of its people it wants to keep its people and not have somebody else like telling them where they go giving them missions sure uh in 06 however SOCOM got a chunk of the marine corps and they stood up what was called MARSOC the marine special operations uh so i moved over there in 08 09 i believe it was so they were still fairly new uh but pretty cool organization uh and i got over there uh, i i knew some people the screening process was i mean it was pretty like pretty easy then to be honest um, and I got over there as a support capacity. So I think that's another another contextual clarification. Um, if you look at the the Marines over there, the Navy SEAL equivalent would be these MARSOC. Called them critical skills operators. You know, they're they're kind of the equivalent of the Navy SEALs. Right. For the Marine Corps. Got it. I was not one of those. Okay. okay. I think that's, that's <laughs> very important. I say that so that nobody thinks I'm claiming that.
0: <laughs> um, but you worked with them.
1: But I worked with them and I had, you know, I was grateful I got to be on a team with them. And, and I worked with some very cool individuals who, like, did not really care about that uh, discernment, you know. it was Just it, to,
0: was, cl- to clarify for my sake and for the listeners, is there was there a desire to be one of those guys in some way you fell short or was that not your path? Like, I don't, I don't know how you end up being that or not. Yeah,
1: no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think early on in my Marine Corps career, I I did have a desire to kind of get over into that. Uh, I don't know. It has an appeal. Then it would have been force recon. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't MARSOC. There was no MARSOC yet. Uh, and as a young Marine, I definitely had that desire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I had some, you know, if, if I'm honest, like it was it was pretty poor leadership early on in the Marine Corps that kind of like put some roadblocks in my way of, of kind of getting to some of those tryouts. And, I, and to be honest, I, I didn't pursue them uh, hard either. By the time I got over there, I was very happy with, like, the role I had in the Marine Corps and, and what I got to do. And yeah. and then I was super stoked that I also got to work with those guys. You know? Yeah, so, for sure. So at that point, I'd found, like, a happy medium. Um, I, I could say I'd come from that, like, terrified recruit at boot camp who didn't really know what they were doing in the Marine Corps and then at that point kind of hit my stride. Yeah, you um, you've
0: been in for a while at that point. So Yeah,
1: I mean I mean at that point I, I picked up rank fast. I, uh, I I think I was a staff sergeant at that point. So any any of the veterans out there, I mean that was that was four or five years in. Um and yeah, yeah, it was it was a good time in the Marine Corps. Um I got to train with these guys, I got to like do a bunch of cool stuff, and then I got to go on a deployment with them. Uh, and that was my first time going to Afghanistan. So, so now we changed from Iraq. Um, Iraq was kind of closing, slowing down, and this was before we had Iraq too. You know, I mean, for for those of you youngins out there, like the Iraq you remember wasn't the first Iraq. It also <laughs> yes. wasn't the second Iraq. <laughs> so that was kind of the third Iraq. Okay. Um, so that Iraq was done, and we went to Afghanistan. So, real quick,
0: um, were you excited to go to Afghanistan?
1: I was, I was very excited. Okay. Um, at, at that point, well, I, is
0: everybody? I like, I, I don't understand the mindset because it's so, it's so foreign to me.
1: No, um, I think in my particular experience, you know, I, I want to make sure that like I don't, I don't try to umbrella people's experiences, but
0: no, of course. For for me, it just broadly, new, I mean,
1: yeah, yeah, broadly speaking. Uh, so what at that point kind of made it uh, attractive to me? I had moved over to the special operations community. So that's super cool in one. Like one. I got to, I got to work with individuals who like just kind of like getting over there you operate at a higher caliber. Like For sure. it's, I
0: mean it's it's just the way it is. So you're dealing with the best at that yeah, point. Yeah, so that's cool.
1: Um I had yet to see combat and like I wanted to see combat, you know. I think that's everybody safe. like at some point if you were in the military in the past, you know, two decades and you didn't see combat, like at some point you either really wanted to see it or you did see it or you've come to terms with like that you didn't see it, right. you know, or, or else you're still kind of rolling around your head and you probably should come to terms with whatever, how <laughs> the outcome was. sure, Cause it's, it's cause it's a big deal, you know? Yeah, um, and it's, it's kind of like, huge. yeah. So here I had this opportunity, not only did I have that opportunity, but like I really stood, then I, I got to work with some really cool individuals. Um, I think once you kind of get over into that, that SOCOM community, you're given much more leeway to, to be more of a free thinker. Um, and with that, you know, you you have to know the box to get over there. You know, you kind of have to have played the military game for long enough. You have to have proven that you have the discipline, you know. And then they kind of let you step out of the box. Got so it. that was also very cool.
0: That's got to be kind of rare for the military, yeah? Uh, I think
1: it's what makes the SOCOM community so special. Uh, but then also, like, what it makes it hard hard to get into. And also why it makes it like, you know, it's, it's also the community that is most prone to like doing some things that are highly influential and not so good uh, because you, you have the ability, like you're given the leeway. Uh, you can, you can think about all the stories we have where, you know, it's, it's a Navy seal. It's, you know, it's, it's an elite Marine. It's an army SF guy who like did something and it now has like international effects. That's true. Yeah. Um, so like with, with that freedom comes a little bit more responsibility. Uh, but Spider-Man. all of that all of that for like you know I was I was what, my mid 20s at that point like that's super cool i was in the best shape of my life i oh, got to yeah. work with a bunch of cool dudes
0: are they all your age give or take? Uh, they were they were all
1: give or take my age you okay. know plus or minus 2 or 3 years Yeah. Uh, like nobody over the age of you know 33 probably i wow. think was our most senior person and i just like got an approval to live in you know Carlsbad California like hell yeah yeah i so i lived across from the beach i was training with these really cool marines and i was getting ready to go to afghanistan and we had just found out that our mission was to go train these Afghan commandos and get on helicopters and just go fight the Taliban. My God. So now, like, all the stars had aligned. Like, now <laughs> now the Marine Corps was a cool thing. And, like, I'd, I'd done my time. I, you know, I'd, I'd like, got in iraq i'd like done the you know kind of like feel my feet in like a combat zone but not really seeing combat and then and then next thing i know i i'm with this you know special operations team in afghanistan getting on helicopters at two o'clock in the morning and just going and picking fights with the taliban oh my god um and i say that like that because it really like that 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 is the the shortest amount of words to say like what that deployment was
0: that's what you guys did. just went out there. And it took was, fights. but
1: but then, but then, see, let, let's rewind that and like let's unpack what that means. Sure, you know, the actual mission was to go, and we would fly on helicopters with these companies of Afghan commandos, who were very close to what we consider like a ranger battalion, and so we modeled that. You know, the Afghan government modeled that, and we would fly with these commandos to try and teach them how a ranger battalion worked, right, against the Taliban, right, right. So there was a very technical aspect to it also. And then the technical aspect of like, go pick a fight with the Taliban. You know, I say those words because that's what it was, was that while we were picking that fight, there were different elements who were doing different things in the area from, you know, a special operations community. Like, hey, we need to set a base up here. We can't, we don't have two or three days to set the base up here because when we set it up, it gets hit by the Taliban. So you guys are going to go over here with these Afghan commandos who need to be trained. You know, we're trying to, to teach them how to take care of their own country. And you're going to engage the Taliban. Once you're over there, they're all going to go over there, and they're going to fight with you. And once they're fighting with you, then this other team's going to go put this base in. Okay. So I kind of like I, I unpack that because it's kind of the, it's like the reasons behind the chaos. Of course, yeah. No, but from important. the outside looking in, like it just looks we, like chaos. We flew into these valleys and yeah. we dropped a ton of bombs and we picked big fights. I think like 42 days was our team's longest gunfight. What? Um, yeah, and then, and this went from a very calm like Iraq deployments to the, to these uh, you know these kind of wild, wild Afghanistan deployments. Oh
0: my god! So the forty-two day one, you got to give me a little bit more on that. That's uh, yeah. So so let's let's talk about that one. Um, so
1: how did we even start that one? <laughs> it was it was a long mission. We had never gone out for that long before, and and kind of the the way it would work is we. We had all of these, these commandos were all over Afghanistan. So like any, anybody who was in the special operations community, you kind of know what like the Afghan commando program was and, but they were always housed at a base that you could fly out of. That was pretty secure. So generally like when you were not out on a mission, like life wasn't bad. You were on a big base. Again, if we talk, if we compare it to Iraq, same thing. We've been there for so many years that the infrastructure is there, right? you were on a base kind of cush, you know, special operations community also kind of gets like, you get funding, you get like nice things because, I don't know, it's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very nice. Then you get on helicopters and you fly out into, uh, you know, somewhere in the Hellman Valley was like our area of responsibility. You fly out somewhere there. Now you're picturing you're flying roughly maybe 15, 20 commandos per helicopter. You have four or five Americans per helicopter, three helicopters landing in the Hellman Valley, two o'clock in the morning. Pitch black, night vision goggles, open poppy fields. So picture just like tilled fields with canals, like no, no actual like growth, but just wet fields. So you get out, get out of those and you run to the nearest building. You plan this all out ahead of time. Sure. Go ahead. What?
0: Oh no, I said sure. Uh,
1: Yeah. So, so run to the nearest building, uh, plan it out ahead. So you know the route and all of this. You're being very quiet. Now, you know, nine times out of 10, nothing goes wrong. Like you're, you're you're good at what you do. Mm -hmm. Get to the nearest building and then you go in and basically like set up shop in that building. You get in any one, you know any variety of ways. like maybe maybe the Afghan commando goes up and he yells and that person opens the door. Maybe that person doesn't open the door and you throw a block of C4 on the wall and you blow a <laughs> hole in it and you walk in. Um, I don't know, any, any variety of different like escalation of force ways. So sure. you end up inside these compounds. Um, and these are like these giant brick structures, like picture a primitive castle because you have to, you have to understand the afghan people like they they've been at war for you know ever. durations of generations yeah. like the russians pre-russians like it's the one country that nobody can ever conquer right And it can't conquer it because these families just build these little fiefdoms. You know, they build castles. They have tons of kids. They literally have tons of kids so they can, like, protect their, you know. And I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. It's just the way the culture works. Yeah. And it works for them.
0: Well, if you've been at war for fucking 50 years, you better have a lot of kids. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And
1: so what you end up with is these giant fields with these giant, like, houses that are like castles where there's just giant, like, open space in between them. Yeah. So now you picture, like, from, from the sky, this looks like a bunch of castles open tilled fields and then you have like marine special operations in one of them taliban in another one maybe nobody in another one taliban in another oh one and you're like going back and forth in between these fields trying not to get seen and you know it's, it's pretty chaotic yeah um lots of helicopters lots of bombs lots of shooting lots of lots of chaos on that uh, so that was an interesting deployment
0: uh oh we can't we can't end that
1: uh, yeah no 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 i'm, I'm trying <laughs> to think 44 days like,
0: 44 days come on uh, oh, oh yes. Yes. Back to the 44 days.
1: <laughs> so I think the intent uh, of that one, um, I don't remember the specific reason we were out for so long. It's okay. But, but I mean, at that point, so if you think about it, you can carry roughly maybe three days worth of supplies on your back.
0: Um, right, which is, why and, I'm, which is why I'm so perplexed by the, yeah, and, the and extended so, yeah. duration. I mean,
1: let's, let's unpack that for listeners because it's actually kind of cool. So, so you ride helicopters in, right? You probably have. I mean, I think we topped our packs out at like 60 to 70 pounds. You don't go more than that because if you go more than that, you end up like it's too heavy and you end up going down from heat stroke because it's also very hot. And if you go down from heat stroke, then the rest of the team has to carry you. you know, it's just bad for business. So you get about three days supplies. So now is you, it hot at night? It's uh, still hot at night and muggy depending okay. on what time of year it is or cold. I mean honestly it's it was very like the temperatures over there are not not nice. Yeah. Like there's nothing really that's it's not hospitable. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, so now you're in one of these compounds, you know, you you we've gotten there, we've we've made relatively nice with whoever whoever owned the compound. You know, those those individuals there, they're kind of just like they're generally maybe they're involved with the Taliban, maybe they're not, but it's not worth really like you just put them in a room, you know, and it's kind of like, hey, this is your bad luck and you're going to ride it out with us. Damn. Um, and, and But you try and treat them nicely. Like, I, I, I will say, like, I have no, like, moral regrets on, like, we went in and did anything poorly. Like, we tried yeah. to do the best we could on, like, not... Sorry, we're taking over your house. Like we have, literally, we have the government of Afghanistan with us. Like more of you them than we do us. They, like they don't have is... the
0: Third Amendment over there. Yeah, no, none of that. So, so now you think you're... it's the Third Amendment? Yeah. I, I could be wrong. Ah
1: oh, man. So
0: housing, so... Uh, quartering soldiers. We we forbade that here. Exactly.
1: But... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have. If it's happening in America, like oh man, we have a lot of things to discuss. <laughs> yes. Uh anyways, so now you've gone in there at night, uh, made nice with the owners as best you can. And then the sun comes up. As soon as the sun comes up, now the Taliban know where you're at. They've like, you've come in quite pretty quietly. So then they start engaging you. Now, I mean, it's not like, I think a lot of people picture gunfights and they picture like very up close and personal. A, a lot of, at least in my experience, you know, just in my experience, right. it wasn't like that often. It was, we're talking 100, 200, 300 yards, like building to building across like fields. Like if you if you got into like what you see in the movies, this kind of close quarters like right. combat, like something went very wrong. Yeah. Um, so is it is it largely sniper based? No, nope, nope. I okay. mean, if you take like you take your average five, five, six, seven, six, two, you know, all of those ammunitions, those are lethal out to, I mean, out to five hundred rounds. Like you can still shoot somebody at that.
0: So for sure, I just it just seems as if it would be very hard to hit somebody from that um,
1: distance. It it is, and and. To be honest that was probably one of the surprising things when I finally got into like real combat especially mm-hmm. like my experience with with both the Afghan army even even the Afghan special forces yeah. and the Taliban was you intentionally kept it a distance because like it just if you if you get too close like the fight's over you know like something happens like you, you just miss each other if you stay at like 300 400 yards to so, be honest so so is that
0: why you stay at distance? i mean like just to survive
1: basically well, yeah because if you closed in if you came closer than that like you needed you were either making an intentional decision like right. because you needed to gain ground for some reason and now i mean now we're like or you died I mean, I'm like, I'm being honest. And of course, at that point in the war, like we'd been there for so long that to be honest, like anybody that made those poor decisions, like you were no longer like they weren't a Taliban, you weren't in the Afghan army. Like, so, so you kept your distance. And like, if you were closing, it was because you were on a particular patrol and this went like this or this went wrong. Um, Thankfully, that also like that minimized a lot of our casualties on that deployment. Um, Because like we, we would be in gunfights from sun up to sundown. But we would never actually like get in within you know two three hundred meters of it, of any particular enemy. Do you guys
0: um, are you guys able to even know what kind of casualties you're incurring? I mean, obviously you know on your side, but I'm saying on their side because you're shooting from such a distance. No,
1: and I think that's uh, that again one of the often overlooked things. Like when we talk about like war, is like that that's very much an unknown okay. um, because. Oftentimes or are not like if you if you have troops pinned down you know you have american troops pinned down or government of iraq troops pinned or uh, sorry afghanistan troops pinned down and you call in like an airstrike say you know you call in helicopters or you yeah. call in a bomb something because you can't you can no longer maneuver is what it was like we don't have a choice now cuz we really we they got very good at trying to preserve structures and like you know limit collateral damage like it became a real thing um yeah. you know often often kind of just thrown as like hey we blew a bunch of stuff up, but did the best not to blow things up if we didn't need to. Uh, what that also means is you don't really ever go up close and check yeah. it. You know, if, yeah. if we're getting shot at from a building from 300 meters away, and like they have us pinned down with effective fire, and we really have no option, like we can't move, and you call in an airstrike on that building, nobody's going to go. Check, like, in the perfect world, you go check that building, right? right? Because you also want to know, like. It's, did anything go wrong, right. you know, or did it go right? You want to confirm it. But in now, the real world, <laughs> in the real world, the distance between you and that building could potentially have any number of improvised explosive devices there that have been laid by any number of Taliban who have been running around that area for any number
0: of years. Yeah. I mean, and you don't even know if there's still soldiers there that might ambush you as soon as you exactly. get over there. Yeah. Yes. So, so then you do approximates, you know, and,
1: and, and it's like, wow. That's wild So that's just kind of the world you live in So
0: Did, did you guys have to call in airstrikes?
1: Um, I mean, yes So our, our, our team did, we called in quite, quite a few airstrikes
0: um, So that, that's an interesting dynamic When I think about it Because it means that Basically, if the Taliban is Moving in on you effectively It kind of fucks them Because like if they're shooting at you from 300 yards You're probably not going to call in an airstrike But if they get in like 150 They're kind of dead
1: I, I, I love how you just drive straight to the point, Clint. That's just my analysis is like what I thought it's, about it. It's perfect. Guys, it's, hey, listeners out there, that's why he's good at what he does. He's kind of sees through the, the chafe. Um, yes, it really was to their disadvantage to get us pinned down. Yeah. Um, because, because the thing is, we would, we would generally, in order to, to do anything like that, because if you call in, if I call in a 500-pound bomb, and that's cause that's generally the average size that you're calling it from an aircraft. You can picture a 500 wow. pound. I mean, you can't picture a 500 no. pound bomb. Like the average person can't picture that. It's a big bomb. Uh, it's going to destroy some buildings, you know, Hell it's yeah. going to leave a mark. So you do your best to not drop that unless you absolutely have to. And then you do your best to make sure you drop that as
0: accurately as possible. Sure. Do you guys like red dot it? How do you, how do you call it in?
1: So what? Oh man. The, uh,
0: Sorry, if that's too much specifics, you don't. Have no, to no, started. it's
1: it's not. I was I was thinking back to our to our wonderful individuals who are responsible for that called called JTACs or Joint Tactical Air Controllers. Um, man, I I worked with some wonderful ones, and their their entire job, and again, like to give people context on the responsibility that kind of like comes with like these situations. These individuals, they they're on a direct line with the aircraft, right? So so you picture they're on a radio, they're talking to whatever the aircraft is. They have a map in front of them. They're looking at that map. That map is of the area that they're currently at. They can use any number of ways to to kind of get the range from it. You know, you can send a laser out there. You know, you they have a uh, I forget what the specific name for the equipment is, but it's basically like you look in this viewpoint, this viewfinder, and you can see the view of the aircraft. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, that individual gives them a grid coordinate, and then the plane confirms mm-hmm. it. But then, when the plane confirms it, it is no longer on the airplane. It is—it's the person on the ground, whoever called, like, "Hey, this is the grid coordinate. This is the building. I confirm you are cleared hot." That's what they say. And then once once they're cleared hot, it's no longer—it's not even the plane's responsibility. It's that JTAC. The JTAC is called on the ground for wherever that bomb lands. Um,
0: wow. So, is he guiding it with his? No, laser? no
1: guidance once it's once it's off. So okay. it's so. Yeah, I, I fear if I if I try and define uh, the technicalities, I will I will get it incorrect, and there'll be a lot of people out there like sniping what I say. But uh, it's my dad. Yeah, no, just, there, there's there's a GPS guidance on that bomb that once you put in once you put in a ten digit grid coordinate, I, I'm fairly certain it accurately it just,
0: hits. Just that. goes there.
1: Yeah, but now you have to make sure that you give them the right ten digit grid. Fuck coordinate. yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's
0: very important. Wow. So the forty four day one. Um, did you guys ever? I mean, I'd assume you had multiple times when you were pinned down because otherwise you would have got out of there, right?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So, so multiple times, and so the the thing about like doing something that long is you can't you can't stay in one location. Because um, the other like interesting aspect of Afghanistan that really it, it was seen in Iraq, but not really at least when I saw the extent that it was in Afghanistan the Taliban got very good with improvised explosive devices Sure. Um, and what we're talking about there is like mines and also ones that you stepped on uh, and they got very good at putting them out in pathways and making it so that our metal detectors could not, you oh, know, no shit. yeah, they would, they would use this variety of material from styrofoam to like balsa wood and very minimal uh, metal material, wow. which would then make it you know very difficult for metal detectors to pick up. Again, we, we were at war for so long that the, the progression of these things was quite like from a scientific standpoint, like, wow, everybody yeah. got very good with explosives. Um, from a day-to-day standpoint, it became very hard because you would have these groups of Taliban come in and what they would do is they would dig out during like walkways, they would dig out positions, they would put in, say, you know, one, two, three, four, whatever number of IEDs. They would sit there, they fight you for a few days maybe they get killed in those days maybe they run away in those days maybe they attach the batteries maybe they don't attach the you know, any number of things can happen but now they're gone and now you still have any variety of ieds on different pathways around your building with yeah. nobody there who really knows where they are or or if they're armed or if they're not armed
0: that's got so you- to be anxiety inducing
1: Oh, I mean for everybody involved. Like yeah. everybody from the, the child who lives in the area to, yeah. to you know the helicopter that's landing in the open field. It's like did somebody put
0: IEDs in the open field right now? So wow. yeah, I mean it's so Did did you ever have any like IED explosive attacks near you? Uh so I mean we had a v- vehicle we had, or otherwise? Yeah,
1: we had so we had a couple close calls. Um uh, we were referred to as toe poppers. Um and that was where if you if you think of an explosive, you kind of have a couple different pieces. You have the actual explosive, and then you have like the primer. Um, you know, everybody thinks about blasting caps which is the most common one, and and if you have a blasting cap go off, but you don't have the rest of the explosive go off, it doesn't really do anything. They break an ankle, break a toe, something like that. So a couple people that had those, I never had that. That must have been terrifying for them. I can't imagine. Um, and then then we did have uh towards the the middle of actually that the long operation um our our team leader stepped on an i e d uh wow he lost both his legs uh, he survived he survived wow. uh, our e o d tech so our, our our bomb guy for lack of better terms got got up to him in time um incredible he survived um yeah and thankfully i mean that that was our our only real casualty on that deployment uh, which which was kind of wild because we were you know, we were one of the most engaged like teams in Afghanistan at that time. And, is the, you know, is that
0: classified as a casualty, even if he doesn't die, just because it takes him off the battlefield? Is that yes,
1: it? absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, he's a casualty. He gets a you know Purple Heart recipient. Oh no, of course, all. yeah. Yeah.
0: I just uh, from the normie perspective, uh-huh. casualty always amounts to death. I mean, that's, ah, yeah. so, that's no. good. Good clarification.
1: Yep. So so we had we had that, and then uh, I think a couple a couple of our commandos um, suffered some not not really life life permanent damages, but, uh, or injuries
0: from gunfire but, or e- IDs.
1: uh, gunfire, uh, predominantly, predominantly gunfire. And then the Taliban had this wicked, uh, wicked underbarrel grenade launcher. that. uh, it was, M203 it was, type, uh, M203, but it was made for, for their AKs. Um, and, and it was interesting cause also on their rooftops. It was kind of a, uh, they had this like crenellated arch kind of, I believe is how okay. you would picture like a bunch of small arches on a rooftop and they would launch these grenades. And if the grenades landed in between those arches, they would be relatively harmless because it would like take all of the shrapnel and direct it down those arches if you're on the rooftop. Gotcha. If they landed on top of those, you know, they were relatively harmful because then it would go out to anybody that was on the rooftop. So we had a couple commandos that would get hit by shrapnel uh, on just about every mission on that. Um, Again, seemingly, you know, not to minimize it, you know, casualties, uh, yeah, no, but I'm also good. like, they like, you know, they came back, they convalesced and, and oh, you awesome. know, came back to full duty and, and all that. So, awesome. So actually like luck speaking wise, like that, that the deployment sounds, was sounds relatively, pretty lucky, yeah, honestly. because we, we, you know, we were engaged quite often. And, Cause
0: I've heard yeah. horrible things about Helmand province. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were, we
1: were definitely riding helicopters into the worst part of it. I mean, I, I wasn't on the specific mission, but I think the hairiest mission, uh, the team was on helicopters with RPGs exploding around them. I, 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 like, took rounds through the helicopter. Wow. I mean, so some some gnarly spots in uh in helmet.
0: And you missed that one, huh?
1: I, I missed that one. Uh, yep. Because there, it was, you know, there's just packs count and you know, it's, it's packs what count. Is. What's that? Uh, passengers. Oh, oh, got you, got you. Sorry. Ooh I, ooh, I feel like a little little <laughs> bit of a little bit of FOMO came out on that one. I did miss that one, and I kind of always have been like, damn, I wish I was all that mission. You what, really? Yes, and I think that's that's a very interesting concept to unpack right now. Yeah, let's do I, it. I do, I do. I missed that. Like, I wish I was on that mission. You want to be as and close
0: to the danger as possible, huh?
1: I don't think that's what it was. I think it uh, it's the shared experience. Okay. Um, and I mean, there's a, there's a lot more to say about it, and that I can I can only now like look back. I would not have been able to define that for you like six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. Let alone like in a moment. Yeah. Um, then it would have just been like, yeah, like I wanted to be with a team, you know, it's it's cool. But it was definitely like, it's it's after the fact and it's like making it through those things and then being like, ooh, this gives me like a new appreciation for everything. Uh, I only realize that now because, you know, like we haven't gotten that far into these all these stories, but sure. like, you know, some, later I did not miss out on some experiences that are yes. uh, very similar. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I, I do. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that's definitely, and I think that's probably a common theme in the military. That's really not spoken out about a whole lot is like really missing out on the wild things like combat. Yeah, because it sounds, you know, it sounds very, very strange and like.
0: I mean, it's it's odd, but it, it makes sense when you consider the fact that you've been with these guys for so long. It's like, yeah, I would want to. I would want to not just be there for them, but also for the shared experience, like you said. So I could talk to them about it after the fact, because otherwise the guys get back and they're all shooting the shit about it, and you're like, "I wasn't there." I can't exactly talk about you it. You just know? nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, from from a survival instinct, for me, I would just be like, "Thank God I wasn't on that fucking helicopter," <laughs> you know? Because <Yeah. laughs> I mean, rounds came through, RPGs came through. It's like,
1: yeah, but I mean, I like at that point, I. I Again, I, I make sure, like, I don't want to speak for everybody's experience, but like, I uh, all of those experiences in the military, I was very much at a point where, like, and it, it makes it interesting these days. I was very much at a point where, like, the mission Re- ready was first. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't really matter. Like, it was, it was just, it was cool. Like, I didn't really, I didn't have a whole lot back home. I partied between deployments. Um at that point, like my, my childhood is interesting childhood, but I like I had a lot of substance abuse as a kid. You know, okay. I got into that at an early age, so
0: So you definitely lied on that application. Ah <laughs> uh, I mean imagine that. Um, <laughs> um so so you were did you were you religious? I
1: was as a child, uh definitely as a child. Um uh, I grew up in the church. Uh kind of divested from that when I probably like left home and joined the Marine Corps and really
0: haven't Well, I, I meant it more in the sense that like Oftentimes, especially when you're in combat, it would seem as if it would be very appealing to believe that there's an afterlife. Ah, I see. You, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yep, like,
1: yep. No, you, I can't say that ever got me. Okay. Um, I think, it, and this one is is where like I I can say this is particular to me, and and I don't want to anybody to get this confused with general like military. Um, I was very much in a like I didn't think I was gonna make it out of the military. I, I joined that just to go to go do something worthy. Interesting.
0: And did, and did, was, that, did you go into the military with that feeling, or, did I, it, I, I, or did, did you I did I did? But
1: it wasn't. It kind of grew over time. It, it wasn't <laughs> that wasn't my initial. Um, I, I think again, interesting thing to look at in, in childhood. It's kind of some of the truths we tell ourselves and the way they they grow into these things as adults. And I think that grew into this very much. Let's go to war, and if that's how we burn out, you know, if that's how we go out, that's a great way to go out, you know. Wow, which is, which is wild in saying that now, you know, yeah, because it's, it's not like it's not, and and ever please, like anybody out there listening to me, like that, that is not. I don't want to, to glorify that because it's not. It's great to go and come back and like live life and for sure. But uh, but, but, but that's super appealing, you know.
0: <clears throat> I I totally understand the perspective though, because it seems as if, especially if you're not religious. It would almost be a benefit to have soldiers that are like, they're okay with that. They're okay with that reality. I'm not saying broadly, but I'm saying as a as a commander, I'd be like, yeah, I want my guys to be fucking ready to do whatever I say. So it would be a benefit to the military to have people with that mindset, it seems.
1: It is. It definitely is. Um and you know, I think I think that's that's all like that's all intertwined into the training, into like you know, you know, for lack of better terms, you, you know, whatever, whatever brainwashing. I don't want to use that aggressively, but you know,
0: I've I've heard that, it, I've heard stuff. it described that way from a lot of a lot of vets though. They they do feel you know that they come they come out of it a little bit not brainwashed per se, but I've I've heard them use that term specifically. So Oh
1: man Yeah
0: Indoctrinated I don't know what, no, Whatever
1: No no I, li- I, I, <clears throat> I I like those words Because they They give people an idea I think they're They're strong words Because
0: I think for the The civilian population It's It's helpful to understand The mindset You know Because we It's so hard for me To wrap my head around it So I'm always trying To better understand The soldier's mindset And It makes sense that Obviously boot camp Would try and remove Your fear of death Try and remove your 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 uh, you know, fear of harming others, everything else that like you're kind of taught as a child not to not to do. Like, totally, don't die, don't kill people. <laughs> you know, like, totally. So the military kind of has to break that from yeah,
1: you. Yeah, I I think now that because I you know I I I, I particularly and don't enjoy. I kind of by by circumstance I had to go back kind of unpack like how right. how much did the military do things to my brain and how much was in nature versus nurture growing up. You know, we we haven't really. It's hard. For, it's hard. For to everybody say. out there, Clint knows me like like quite well and knows there's, you know, I have a variety of mental health issues that could or could not have been from the military. So, but the positive side of that is, is I think a lot about these things. Um, and I think that, like, the, the easiest way, and I don't want to minimize, and again, critics out there are going to eat me alive for it, but kind of think of it as when you join the military, like, if you think about it from like Maslow's standpoint, if you know about hierarchy of needs, sure. Like, it starts to take care of a lot of those for you immediately, um, and and then they take you and they really do it. Whatever whatever form of boot camp you go to, I'm sure yeah, I can't speak for any of the other services. I can only speak for Marine Corps boot camp, but I would assume there's there's a degree of like, kind of shake your steam a little bit, kind of shake like what's your you know what do you particularly think of as normal, mm-hmm. but then also the reward system is like it's great if we really if I really like unpack it like. You go from society right now, and I mean, I, we could we could talk about this a lot, uh, where it's very difficult to find belonging, where significance is hard, especially now as we talk about new generations right now. Yeah, everything's virtual. Like a real life accomplishment, like you know, these are these are these are things that are now becoming like not not so commonplace.
0: Yeah, they're fleeting, and and they're yeah, they're. I think it's funny because there's been entire generations uh, historically that had the same purpose, you know, the World War Two one guys, mm-hmm. they the they're even considered the greatest generation because of what they did and, and how what they went through, so it makes a lot of sense and particularly with modern civilization with like you were talking about with electronics and whatnot, um, and then also the kind of the coddling of kids and everything where there's, they've removed so much of achievement so that it really, it does I think particularly for men, i just speaking for myself, it, it creates a void in that societally, we used to have kind of these metrics by which men could, uh, you know, not just not just drive towards, but also be like acclaimed for, you know, like, yeah. And now people don't really look at being a father the same way that they used to. So that's not that's not as um, as much of a milestone. I mean, certainly I do and you probably do as well, but a lot of people don't. And and then there's it's like. A lot of the achievements, particularly for myself, I think what I filled that void with was, you know, financial and business achievements because I needed some some sort of metric by which to say like I'm I'm doing well in life, I'm succeeding in some fashion. Um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that. So yeah, Maslow's hierarchy of needs they're they're addressing all of the the base of the pyramid. Um, so
1: and and then to be honest like the further kind of the, the further and further you you get up in the military and if you if you start to like you know get into some technicalities and specialties and get surrounded by like-minded people like you really can like you can kind of hit the top of that pyramid um, especially you know somewhere like special operations community right? even
0: without women Seems like the pyramid would I be. know, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> the pyramid would be worthless if there's no ladies there. But oh I... man, yeah, that's
1: that's a whole other whole nother topic of stories from deployments. <laughs> uh, but but no, I mean, in all honesty, I think that's a, that's it's one of the things that I only now realize since I have some distance that really makes it difficult getting out of the military. Um, and I think especially for individuals who have like really invested in it or been in for a while or been surrounded by individuals who you know who they have very close ties to. Because once you get out, it's it's very confusing that all of those needs, and if you if you don't if you don't understand them and you don't see it for what it is, like all of a sudden there's just a lot missing. A ton. And I think that's where the whole
0: foundation, basically. Yeah,
1: and I think we we're getting there on like understanding what that means, but but it's you know it 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 leads to people like it manifests in such strange ways that then then we start like, using words like you know brainwashing and like and it's like what they did you know to a point yeah. But it's also just, it's just hard, you know, it's just, it's just the way
0: it is. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Nathan, I think has even experienced some of what you're describing and I don't think he was ever in combat. So it was, it, there is something to be said just for the, the, uh, the kinship and the familiarity and the structure. Like once that's all removed, there's a lot, there's a lot that you have to then take on your shoulders. And maybe even it, even though you're like accustomed to risking your life, it could be even harder just to live a normal life, you know?
1: Yeah. I think, uh, you bring up a kind of this, this great point of a kind of relativity on, on stress and like life things. Um, and I, I think again, it's, it's kind of one of the misunderstood things among veterans, not, not among veterans, but kind of from the outside looking in on veterans is like everybody's kind of event stress for a lack of better terms is, is different. Like their, their stress level for different kinds of events, sure, um, and and where that starts to get skewed is like we said, like somebody who has been in the military for their entire life, and you know has kind of never really ventured out to doing something like say like buying a house, and now has gotten out of the military, and is now maybe you know they, they've retired, so now you're talking about somebody who's like they're the mid fifties, you know, sure, but they've always lived on base, they've always lived base housing, but they've been in combat. Ten times now, because they're they mid fifties. Like I have friends who, you know, they they've literally done eleven, twelve deployments. So like these guys, like gunfight, easy day. You know that is that is their life. Oh my god! Buying a house, big deal. Crippling anxiety. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. oh my gosh! But you from the outside looking in, it's this grizzled war veteran, and yep. you're like, but do you like you you can't get out of bed to go buy a house? And it's like, no, no, I can't because I've never experienced that. It's never been something that I've had to
0: do. Yep. You know, and he delayed that that path for so long, I'm sure it would be daunting at 50, you know, right. You've never done it, you know, it'd be intense.
1: And then, and then very easy to skew that as, Oh, like something is wrong with that person, you know? And so, so I think it's, it's just, it's, it's an interesting concept. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, it's just, I think it it really speaks to the nature of man that we're such a product of our habits. And like, if you have been, your habit has been to be in the military for 30 years how can you possibly expect them to come back and just be like, okay, well, now there's no structure whatsoever. Figure it all the fuck out. Like, good luck, dude. I mean, yeah. and that's and, those are for the guys that have been in for thirty years. I mean, even for people that have been in five or ten, it's like that's a daunting shift.
1: All of it. I mean, uh, yeah, like like folks who do you know, one deployment, or sorry, not one deployment, one one enlistment. You know, four years. That's that's still you go from you picture your your average. You know, teenage kid who enlists in the military is eighteen years old
0: and most importantly they're your formative years too yeah, exactly you know. what
1: I was, yep from eighteen so then you get out of twenty two yep. that's those are those are some important those are college years you know those are like a lot of so yep. anyways I, I feel like we we digressed on this one but it's something i'm i'm honestly about.
0: it's 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 been the first time I've been able to uh, actually give you some of my ideas so I appreciate <laughs> the the digression but um so after the uh the very hectic Helman province deployment did you end up back there
1: so uh, yes uh, between that deployment actually uh, I was actually an interesting I was I was going to get out I was actually I was done at that point ready to get out of the military um, I'd, I'd met a and girl. you wanted
0: you wanted to be out
1: I'd met a girl I was gonna go to college I was coming up on the end of my enlistment at the time so this is
0: 2010. This would have
1: been, yes. Wow, you're better with years than I am. This would have been, yeah, end of 2010, early 2011. Um, yeah, Forgive me, anybody out there who perhaps knows me, and I got that wrong. Blurry <laughs> uh, <four> years. <laughs> They'll forgive me. Anyways, it. yeah. Um, so I was ready to get out, and I, and I was really, really ready to get out. Uh, it, had, I'd kind of gotten what I wanted, which was, you know, I'd gotten to combat. It'd been cool. I'd hung out with a bunch of cool people, you know, like I'd gotten like. It really like very much hit all the wickets of like let's go to Afghanistan and go to war.
0: Um, you fucking did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: right, right. Did it. Um,
0: did it. Oh, by the way, I don't think you ever said it. What were you doing for them? What were you doing for Marsoc? Uh
1: For them specifically, same same type of thing I had done uh, in the Marine Corps. Um, a lot, uh, a lot of like speaking with individuals. So basically like any type of information. Okay. So you have you have different ways to gain information. If you take uh and you think about it like you have satellites, right? You have you know, technical radios, things like that. Like if you if you want to get into the NSA world, you know, we know the entire America knows what the NSA does. So all these different ways of getting information. Um our particular skill set was information from people. So that again, it
0: did you speak Farsi or whatever they speak? Uh,
1: so at that point, we with Afghan commandos would have been Dari. Uh, it's kind of an offshoot of Farsi, okay. uh, but, but the, the Afghan version of kind of the Dari, Farsi, Persian. Uh,
0: did you have translators? Uh, you... we, so
1: we had interpreters. Yep. Okay, And they would do a lot of the speaking. Uh, you generally would get to the point where you could be conversationalists. Uh, you know, just just back and forths. Um, wow! But you still you had to learn to be very good with with a linguist cause it,
0: Do you do you remember any of the language? Not particularly.
1: No, okay. no. I, honestly, like I, like full disclosure, guys. I did a lot of drinking when I was between the. <laughs> you drank those words with <laughs> I yeah. I don't anymore. Thankfully, life's good. But no, I I I kind of went through this like. I could get by in Arabic at one point. And wow. Like toss that. I could get by like Dari at one point. Toss that. I could get by a Pashto at one point. And I don't say it to brag again because like I've forgotten it completely. So <laughs> I can't can't brag about it because I don't remember any of it. <laughs> That's um, a trip. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So so for them, it was uh it was cool because what that job let me do um, was like interact with a wide variety of people. And so like if if we went into the village. You know, somebody's got to go find whoever runs the village, you know, and talk to them. And, you know, maybe I was the primary guy to go find that. If we rounded somebody up and brought them back on a helicopter, you know, if the Afghans detained them, we tried really not to detain people at that point in the war. But if the Afghans wanted to bring them back, you know, I'd get to talk to the dude. Um, if everybody went out on a patrol and they all came back, you know, you may have, like, the EOD. So our explosive guy may be in charge. You know, he's, he's the one who's looking out for the IEDs so he's not paying attention to really the significance of the little kid on the left side of the road who's playing with a cardboard cutout of an ak when he comes back from that patrol and i talk to him and he tells me about that then we can look at that and be like oh that they were pretending to be the afghan police like this is a good thing let's plug that into this you know the da- the database that hey they're pretending to be the afghan police here that's that's a good sign for this village and kind yes, of put all of, those, of them, the yeah. pieces together i got gotcha. you so that, that was a big part of my responsibility while I was with those teams. Okay, uh, which
0: but you would still you would still engage in combat though. When, yes. When so it I think up. the
1: yeah the the distinction there would be that the primary folks on the teams, the majority of the team, were critical skills operators was was an official title. And essentially, they were the assaulters. You know, they were the engineers. They were the shooters. For lack of, if have you've have you ever heard the term shooters, mm-hmm. like that is the blanket term for for a Navy SEAL, for like a Marsoc CSO, for you know an uh, Army SF guy. Then there's a bunch of other folks on the team too who like yeah. my my primary job is not to kick the door down. My primary job is not to clear the room. My primary job is to. Go talk to any of the folks that are left in the room
0: afterwards. Yeah, run intel. Gotcha.
1: Now that all sounds fine and dandy until you actually get in a combat scenario and all of those orders and uh, like me being in the back instead of the front is now upside down and right. on its head. So when you train, it's very much like you don't you don't get to like separate on that. It, it becomes a, like everybody just get kind of good at all of these things. Yeah. Well, and then you have primary specialties. Yeah, you know? if a guy's
0: shooting at you, it's not you're not gonna yeah, be like. Yeah, exactly. i like, hey, hey, I'm an on. intel guy. Yep, I'm, not, I'm not this guy. <laughs>
1: Please come over here. Um, Please yeah. shoot
0: at him, dude. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. Yeah,
1: and and thankfully, you know, oftentimes I think there's in these communities there's a little bit of friction there between that because it becomes a you know we talked about it before it becomes like a desire for esteem it becomes like. Mm. A, and I never had any of that, which was super cool. The oh, individual nice. I worked with, like, we're very much, hey, we're all, you know, we have one mission. Everybody has a particular job on the team. Those are all important jobs. Everybody pulls their weight. Like, let's Do you get have the a, job done.
0: You have any rounds land near you? Uh oh man, which which time? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, just, I think. Um, I guess the answer is yes.
1: Yeah, the most most distinct I can remember. Um, we were, we were sitting around, so it's it very very interesting on this same commando mission. But uh, the Taliban would take these little little siestas, for lack of better terms, during lunch hours, um, and and it made sense because it was so hot. Like between like noon and maybe three o'clock, like everybody would just kind of stop fighting. Um, Afghan commandos, Taliban, us—it was too hot to fight. (laughs) Sounds surreal, but it was it was the real deal. Like because you you go down from heat exhaustion, like nobody nobody's winning there. Like no good. So I remember we were all, we, we were just beginning that portion. Our team was kind of settling down. At this point, you're inside a compound. So you have Afghan commandos on the rooftops. It's relatively secure. You know, you know you've got the area kind of pegged out. It's maybe like noon, one o'clock. So you think everything's going to calm down. So we're all sitting sitting in this little semicircle. And I remember looking at team chiefs looking around at everybody. Next thing you hear, boom! And it's dust. And it's nothing but dust. Shit. And we all look around. And You kind of start seeing each other's faces, and then you look up at the ceiling, and so it's this mud ceiling, right? There's a hole in it and there's sunlight coming through. and there's dust everywhere in the room. and we all look at each other and then it kind of clicks in everybody's head. It's like a mortar? we just got a mortar. A mortar just landed on us. Taliban had not put it on delayed fuse. If it went on delayed fuse, it goes through the roof. it lands in the middle of all of us. So that's the first thing that goes to your mind is like, yes, it wasn't on delayed fuse. that was a mortar. it's on the rooftop. So then you kind of look around at everybody in the circle. Everybody's pretty okay. And then I remember it kind of clicked with everybody at the same time. I don't remember who was the first one that yelled it, but they're like, Hawk's on the roof. And our buddy's on the roof. Oh, so we start yelling for him. And next thing you see this head poke down like in the dust. And he's like, "Whoa, that was close, man. Oh. Hit between one of those little like, you know, those divot things on the rooftop. Oh, we're like, my... and you know, things I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, like." yeah. yeah hit between one of those so didn't really do that much damage he's on the rooftop with this mortar did it there. blow up oh yeah it blew up blew up on the rooftop wow. so when, it, when i say delayed fuse let me actually let's let's rewind that sure sure. so the way a mortar works when we talk about mortar for anybody there that really is to clarify what a mortar is it's basically like a grenade that you drop in a tube that has a charge on it that then shoots it up in the air and then it comes down on top of things so it's like a giant water balloon dropping down from the air into something and then exploding. Now you have two ways you can arm that. You can my arm my concept
0: has always been that it blows up on impact. So it sounds like there's two options. There's
1: there's two ways, yeah, two ways you can arm some of the variety of rounds, and you could put them on delayed or you could put them on impact. Delayed, what delayed do, then do is it hits the rooftop, a second after it hits the rooftop is when it explodes. So it gives the time to actually like break through the rooftop wow. and then it would explode. So. Delayed fuse goes through the roof, explodes right over top of the team, or the element, the people we had there. Not yeah. delayed fuse, explodes on the rooftop. We all kind of laugh about it afterwards. Um, so, the- yeah. So, so, so our buddy peeks his head down, but it's even more surreal because he peeks his head down. Now he's, you know, he's yelling, he's okay. So we're like, yes, everything's okay. Like the guy on the rooftop, all the commandos are okay. Mortar just hit us. It's cool. And then we look around and like, where's the? Do-? We look at the dock and our dock. You know, the guy who's supposed to be. Before, is across the way and he's still sleeping because it's like hit the noon siesta time. He's sleeping in another
0: room. Oh
1: my God. Straight through all of this. Wow. And so we go over to him we wake him up. We let him know like, hey man, if that was on delayed feed, it's like all of us just got hit with a mortar. <laughs> just, guy on the rooftop's okay. Like, he's like, why'd you
0: wake me up? Yeah. It's like So everybody's
1: okay? He's like, cool man. Uh, but, oh, anyways, I mean, like, but that's the point it got to because it's like, it's a profession, you know? It's not like, it gets to the point where it's just normal. Like the, I, I feel like Human's it's, ability, and we're seeing it nowadays. Also, like the human ability to like normalize things is pretty epic, and that for just sure. became like it just became life. Like go out to commandos. It's just
0: unimaginable to me that like that wouldn't be a very. I, I don't know. I would just be so fucking freaked out. Like, and you're just like, well, we're alive, and it didn't do that, so it's no big deal. I would be. I would be thinking about that for years after.
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
0: You're just like yeah, it didn't. It, I'm here. It didn't I mean, happen. I,
1: yeah, I mean, like, it's like yeah. That's yeah. awesome.
0: That's I awesome. Like, I mean, I, I, think that given the amount of uh, potentially lethal, you know, actions that occurred all around you, it'd be tough to constantly be ruminating on that fact and have it like affect you emotionally because otherwise it'd be too much.
1: No, I mean, you, you, you bring up a good point. They do a good job. Like, I mean, a large portion of training. Is, is particularly geared towards that, you know? It's particularly geared towards like desensitizing and like not, not really worrying about like what are what are what are the consequences if such doesn't work out, you know? Okay. It's just kind of just, just do it, you know? And and all of those things are bred into you, for lack of better terms, coming up in the Marine Corps, you know, all of these things, these judgment, you know, these leadership principles and these like core Marine Corps beliefs and, and all of this stuff.
0: I just can't believe it sticks and it works, um, you know?
1: Yeah. And but apparently it does. <laughs> that's where I, I think, uh, I don't know. I find the brain so fascinating, like, like the, the, the way it works because it does. Because Me too. It, because it does work and it does work and people don't like they don't lose their minds and like and it's crazy and you, and you operate at that level and, it, and it's cool and like but some people do though. and it becomes normal but well, that- well here's the flip side of it is you can't always operate like that you know it's right. like you can you can desensitize and you can train and you can do all of these things and you can you know you can get to the point where like this is normal and you normalize it but, but it's not there's no replacing like the equilibrium of the brain that says like there's no threat right now there's no like actual fear for my life and I think that's where, where kind of we get ourselves into trouble in the, like, I don't know, in the veteran community, I like, I don't want to speak for everybody, but like, no, I, I got myself in trouble in terms of like, yes, this is all normal, but it's not really normal. Cause you're still scared. Hmm. And like, that's the big piece right there. And that's piece like, nobody really wants to talk about is it. like, you're scared. Like everybody's scared. You're always scared. You just learn not to like act on it. You Interesting. Know?
0: Um so so when you come back do you feel as if there's imminent threats that aren't I didn't for a long time okay. um
1: Let's hold that question. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get that before maybe like hour three in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're doing, we're going man, full Joe yeah, Sorry experience. folks. This is uh yeah, Clinton didn't know what he was getting into. Get me on a podcast. I mean, the entire life story of my first podcast. Uh, so let's take that commander deploy. Let's close that out. Uh, so so we did that that very long mission. Um, I mean, it, you know, we did a couple other missions. It was it was honestly like horrible. You know what happened to our team leader? Like. It, but also looking back, like, it was a very fulfilling deployment uh, for me personally on, like, what I wanted out of the military. Mm-hmm. So I was going to get out. Uh, then I remember I was sitting in this uh, – it was a training that I had to sit in anyways because, you know, the Marine Corps, like, they don't just let you out. You can't say I'm getting out and then they just not going to work. Uh, so I still had to sit in a training. And I remember sitting there with the team that I had just gotten back from deployment with. And they were talking to are like, hey, you know, who's, who's going to be so-and-so on our next team? Like, who's going to take your position? And I remember I looked and they started throwing out some names and like I start looking at who's gonna be around and then I start getting a little defensive because you know that's, that's my team, like and somehow this team has stayed together, like which doesn't happen in these communities, like they're and they're going on another deployment. And I look and I'm like, "Oh, do it can I really get out right now? Like they're going back out. Do I really want somebody else to go out and take my job? Like this is the same team. So lo and behold, I I don't end up getting out. I I end up, uh, extending my contract for, I I believe it was for a year. I don't tell the girl I'm dating at the time who I'm very seriously involved with until like after the fact, I've signed the paperwork. I burned that relationship. uh, That's not the
0: girl I know, is it? No, no, no. This
1: is years ago. Nope, nope, nothing, nothing standing for. We're still friends. I mean, yeah, but no longer a relationship. Um. So basically, like throwing my towel and say like, into the ring and say, hey, I'm, I'm not good. No, opposite of that. I don't throw my towel into the ring. I say, yeah. hey, let's go on another deployment. Uh, I'm just going to extend. I'm just going to go on this deployment. That's it. Like, I'll just go on this deployment. I, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, just because I like this team, yada, yada. Uh, so go back on another deployment, and it is 180 degrees from our commando deployment, which is which actually like super cool in a way. Uh, we had gotten at that point. What was it? What year? I was like beginning of yeah, it was early 2012. So early 2012, we got assigned uh, no longer commando mission. We got assigned this village stability operations mission. Which, uh, if anybody, if anybody's familiar with that, uh, it may be from Afghanistan. It may be from like Vietnam days uh, because this is it's very like very much. It's not a new thing. It's very much what we did in Vietnam, where you mm-hmm. take small teams and you put them like within the population. With the intent that we don't really disrupt. We were very, you know, the American military is very disruptive. You know, it's, it's just a fact. It's, it's a giant military. Yeah, uh, That's not very good when you're trying to close out wars. Sure. You know, if you're, if you're trying to like be done and like play nice and, you know, establish a government and not destroy things, you kind of want a smaller footprint. So that, that was the intent there was put put these these teams out there who then would take these villages and tie them in at a national level or, you know, a state State level, for lack of better terms, you know, Afghanistan, there's no states, there's different, pro- you know, but, but tie them into the government. <clears throat> so this was interesting because it was absolutely not like a gunfighting deployment. There was no kinetics on this deployment. It was go you know, sit down with Afghan leaders, talk to them for hours on end, and then work with an Afghan local police to, like, get them stood up. And now, now picture, this would be the equivalent of, like, your, you're like, I don't know county police like you're you're very rural like not not your like highway like very rural police yeah uh, so stand up a police force who would then be able to protect the town so so not a gunfighting deployment sure um, very cool because our team was kind of done gunfighting at that point like we'd had a lot. Had a lot of gunfight in the previous deployment, and it was like, let's do something different. Um, and we were very, very successful. Uh, we were oh, very great. successful because we didn't want a gunfight. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to train the Afghan police. We wanted to, like, work with the leadership. We wanted to work with the village. And you were the honestly, right guys
0: for that job because you were like, we want peace. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: it was, like, really, like, yeah, again, like, our whole team kind of hit the stride, and it was uh, we were very, very successful. Um, very, very successful. Like, one of the most successful teams in Afghanistan, I'd say, at the, at the current time. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then, then everything fell apart. Um, so it's so very successful team, uh, so successful that, you know, I, I don't know, we've, we've gone back, we've unpacked it a thousand times. I don't know if it was because of our success or what it was, but one of our, uh, one of our Afghan police, either with the Taliban's assistance, not with the Taliban's assistance, Committed what was called a green on blue um, on our team, and and what that term means is it's where one of one of what is assumed to be like the Afghans who are on your team, so per se like the an ally. army, the police, yes, an ally for lack of better terms, yeah, then turns their gun and, and you know betrays whoever they're working with. Uh horrible situation. Uh, we lost three team members. Uh, another, another one was critically y- wounded. There, right? Um, yes, I I uh, I was I was personally involved in that attack. There were there were you know, a limited number of us that was involved in the actual event. Uh, and I was the only one that made it out without, without getting injured.
0: Um, were you, were you armed?
1: Uh, I, I was armed, um, but it was a very, I mean, it's interesting with, without completely like unpacking it and divulging a lot of, a lot of information that I don't know if I'm, I'm really comfortable putting out in the public forum Yeah, it's yet. fine. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like, I remember in the days following it, we all looked at each other and we're like, we kind of just got to admit that like absolute worst case scenario happened on this. Yep. Um, like all of the stars aligned just for the wrong team. Yeah. Uh, and, and what ended up happening was this individual got, got into our base at, uh, you know, an hour when nobody was really ready for it. Um, and and was really it caught us completely off guard. Yeah. I mean, it was early, early morning, okay. totally off guard, uh,
0: and yeah, it just ended very poorly. Yeah. Um, were, were you firing? Can can I ask that?
1: oh uh, no no I, I actually I did I did not fire I was fired at um, I was not comfortable firing at a specific moment um, and then and then after it was really not an opportunity yeah uh, just, just the way it played out um, yeah. yeah
0: I know so that, the I know uh, that's a dark one for you so I appreciate you telling me about yeah, it
1: yeah no it's it's. Now that I have some distance from it, it's. Uh, I, I think my my biggest thing is, you know, I, I hesitate to to speak to in too much detail about about those folks at this point. Yeah, I, I need to really figure out what that means to me and what like a public forum means for that. Of course. Uh, but the cool thing, um, if there's any cool thing, you know, you, you got to find some good out of out of all the bad. Is that our, our team responded very well to that. Um, you know, we, we effectively got decimated that night, you know, a team of less than 30 people. You know, you lose three people. That's by definition of the word. You've yeah. lost, you lost more than 10% of your team. Yeah. Um, and you would think, and and every stereotype of all of these events mean like, hey, <laughs> sun's up, guns up. Like, let's uh, let's cause some hurt and discontent because we just lost some individuals. Uh, and our team was super cool. We did not do that. Uh, they actually like kind of locked it down and, uh, and continued on with the mission and...
0: That's incredible,
1: and yeah it was it's a cool story and i, I want to figure out the right way to tell that one um so i'm I'm gonna kind of like leave it at that on that one uh
0: that's fair Cause it, it
1: is it's a very cool story, but i I don't want to do it disservice um the unfortunate part of that is you know fast forward nine months down the road, and you know that that same area that that had been doing so well, and you know individuals had given their lives for we uh U.S. tanks are rolling down the street and it is no longer like it's no longer even a contested area. It's no longer a spot that really has any government. You know, it's it's right back to Taliban control. And I think that's that's really like if we distill all of that stuff down to like what's what's like what stands out to me. Sure. It's like, hey, you know, what's how do we not do that again? You know. How do we not like go go like, if you're gonna get ourselves that... dug in a hole like that? Because you know, I I could say like all of us gave our absolute best for you know for for that ground. Of course. And then to not you know not have it a couple months later.
0: Yeah, it's like for what at that point. I mean, yeah. Do was it a was it a change of command in the higher ups that changed the uh, the desire to maintain it, or do you know?
1: No, uh, I mean it 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 is mm-hmm. just the the chaos that we call war. Okay. And like that they. Again, some people may call that a cop-out answer, but it's like there's no... And, and trust me, like I, I sit down and I go back and I've, you know, a disclosure, like, you know, Clint knows a lot of my history for, for the folks out there, but, you know, I, I have worked my way from, you know, a, a very severe substance abuse problem that covered up a very severe PTSD problem that, you know, has led to a variety of other manifestations. So this is not like... This isn't a topic that I haven't given a lot of thought to. Of course. And... You know, I I don't think you can really go back and unravel to one specific thing. I think it is it is it is a society thing, and it's a you know it's an American learning experience, and it, and that sounds so horrible because you know it's it's lives lost, and it's you know blood shed, and it's like it's it's wars fought. Um, but I think it's growing pains because like our country is not relatively speaking we're kind of ch- child and you know the rest of the world and yeah. we kind of like threw our weight around for a while and and we kind of are realizing oh, maybe that wasn't so cool yeah i think at this point so mm-hmm. i don't know i i there's a there's this term in in a lot of the mental health worlds and it's called radical acceptance it's also uh you know in a lot of the, the meditation worlds and now now we're kind of digressing from from my military and people are getting a different side of me but I think it's all, It's all important yeah it's it's kind of where you get to this point where you're just like hey that's that's just the way it was, that's mm-hmm. just the way it is that is, and but it's not a justification, it's just like let's do better, mm-hmm. no let's do better let's stop like pointing the fingers like let's do better now, yeah, and it's kind of where I have to be,
0: yeah, right? man, so intense
1: so that so that was that deployment uh and and it, um,
0: just real quick is the the primary um Kind of like the locus of the PTSD. Is it from that event?
1: Yes. I would say that's, that is the the primary driver. Um, yeah. I think that the interesting, not interesting, I, I use that word very broadly. Like, so everybody knows out there, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at stepping back and being objective about things. But I think sometimes it makes me sound like I minimize things. I don't, I don't minimize any of them, but uh where are they going with that one?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I was asking if if the uh, that particular event is the main
1: ah uh, yes okay. that's where we're going yeah that it it was but I think uh, I, I didn't it's compounded by a lot of things um, and and I think where where when we throw out the word PTSD I mean like let's unpack that for a minute post traumatic stress disorder you know that's it's such a broad term. That uh, I, I think where <coughs> I have found difficulty is in you know we we've, we've gotten real good at talking about it, at labeling it, at making it like this thing that is resultant of trauma in the military. I think where where the broader definition comes in is like what what were you exposed to prior to it? Mm-hmm. What are your coping skills in life? Like what was your nature versus nurture coming up in life? Like all all of these different aspects that it's then make it manifest in important. a really weird way. Yeah. Anyways. Get back on point. That was absolutely the locus of 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 kind of some of that post traumatic stress stuff. I think the the kind of what
0: I assumed as much. I just didn't know if it was all that, or if it was also the gunfights, or if it was just the.
1: No, that's that's where I think uh, that was that was the primary driver. But then also just all all of all of this stuff. Yeah, you know, because I came back from that deployment and kind of to to like put it in context. I remember the moment after like all of these, these very traumatic and horrible things happened, you know, when our team got hit. They're like I locked it down and it was like, it was time to go to work. And here's here's the crazy part, and you know, this was, you know, this was 8 9 years ago. Mm-hmm. Only now can I really look back and 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 say this and I still say it with hesitation. But like the moments after that and like the week and two weeks months after that were like some very proud moments for me and i think for the rest of the team if they if if you're able to like take a look through the tragedy and through the chaos Mm -hmm. um because it really was a time when it was like now now you got to shine like you you have to like the entire i mean it it was like it was a big deal it was a big deal in afghanistan at the time it was a big deal for us it was and it was like you you don't get to like not be on your best right now because the entire world is looking at you it felt like
0: yeah well and And so
1: so and then in turn, that's like you just got into the championship game of whatever your favorite sport that you've been playing for your whole life is. Yep. Unfortunately, it's for the worst circumstances ever. Right. But, And so then I look back, I think there's so many mixed feelings from all of that. that sure. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I totally get it. And uh, I'll just speak for myself. I'm, I'm proud of you guys for not taking a very base instinct like vengeance and going and getting retribution for your friends. Cause I, you know, just gut reaction. That's what I would want to do. And I hope that in that moment, given all the work and all the sacrifice that you guys made that you would, you know, I would be able to do the same thing and, and maintain the mission ideal in my mind, as opposed to, you know, going out and avenging my friends. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a heartbreaking story. Um, as I've told you before, I appreciate you telling me about it, and I, I'm just I'm glad that you made it, you know. So.
1: Yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it is a story. I, I'm sorry. I'm oh, it's so, a story, sorry, folks. Dude. That was that was an awkward moment for me because <laughs> I realized like that's that story. Like it, it all just means a lot to me. Of course. Um, and, and I think you you really hit on something that, like. They already like touches on me right now. And and that is in terms of, I think one of the coolest things on that team was like the, the base instinct is, it is the hit back, you know? And like, we'd done a lot of hitting the year before, but it was like, it was intentional. It wasn't, it was, it was responding. It wasn't reacting. You know, we were told go out and do this, you know, Mm -hmm. go out and for lack of better terms, cause some chaos. Yep. Uh, But that team's ability to show restraint then. It's pretty amazing because it's emotions special. like are through the roof. You can, I mean, oh, I, I won't, can't even imagine. I won't say you can only imagine cause I don't, I don't like that phrase because there's so many different, yeah, there's so many different aspects of this world that people go through that we can't imagine. So let's not assume we can imagine, but I think it's very applicable in today's world. Uh, because it, I'll tell you like hitting back feels good. Like, if I, oh man. And you hit back like in the military way. Whew, yeah. Cuz it's a control thing and it's it's like you said before it's an esteem thing and it's like yeah. it's it's a value thing and it's the ability for me to like have my own agency and defend myself and all of these things. But it's super dangerous. Yes. Cuz it feels like it feels so good and I think the world we live in today like all of this military experience and everything I've done, you know, to to all the folks out there like man, I cry about the world today. Like cuz everybody is everybody's there like we've all been hit And we've all had some trauma and like everybody's going through it right now. And like COVID, COVID, COVID just kind of like showed our asses on it. Yeah. And we're all getting ready to fire back. And it's like, if we all fire back, then they're all just shooting at each other. Yeah. And I say that metaphorically. And, and I mean, look at, look at the world today. (laughs) Like it's, it's really there. And I think that's, that's where we kind of have to look. And one of the greatest lessons I learned from all of that is like, it feels good, but it's not worth it Yeah. because the, the team that came in after us, they did it. They did it. They hit back. And I watched everything that like those, and it destroyed it. Yeah, it was gone just like that. Yeah, and I mean it's a that's an example worlds away, but but it's not particularly because today you know.
0: Yeah, no, it applies. I really believe it applies, and and I think that it's a good moral in that it's very rare you're going to fire a gun and and fix a problem. You know, it's like it's not that it's impossible. Um, I think that the American Revolution is one of the rare. Examples where you know fighting for independence paid off, especially long term, but in the in the short term, it's death and destruction and a complete collapse of civilization. And I think that anybody, particularly, I'm speaking to my audience because they, many of them are you know boogaloo type cats, and they uh, totally
1: which which which. For everybody out there, I respect, like, I, yeah. I, I, I am at this, like, unique point in my life where I can, like, I can hold all of those viewpoints in my head. Right. And, like, even if I don't specifically agree with your particular one, like, there's valid points to everybody's yeah. stuff.
0: No, I, exactly. And, I, and I'm more in your camp because, as we talked about, I don't have in me a willingness to go risk my life. Like, that's that's not something I really want to do. However, given the state of our government... I do envision a potential where that that comes to pass in my lifetime. And I pray to God it doesn't. Um, But I think that it's always important to remember that, you know, regardless of how sincerely we feel the modern problems, which are very real, taking it to the level of violence and retribution doesn't guarantee that you're going to get the outcome that you hope for. So... I think that uh, you know what you guys did there in in having the the resolve and the being able to reserve yourselves and and not not go out and get the retribution. I think is a, it's an important lesson for the people that are feeling very uh, abused and hurt by what the government's done to us over the past six months with lockdowns. I know there's a lot of people out there feeling just viciously upset, and I'm one of them. Um, but I'm also not, you know, I'm not gonna take it to that level. So I think that knowing that, you know, the the problems are real, not downplaying them, but also acknowledging the potential harm if you go out and you do what your baser instincts tell you to do.
1: Yeah, and I I, I think <clears throat> I mean man, I, I I respect a lot about you, Clint. <laughs> in case in case any of the listeners out there don't YouTube, know, you too brother. Like, I've I've known Clint for a minute and like one of the biggest things I respect about him is like his consistency as like a person. And I'd like he's just been very consistent over the years in a lot of things that I enjoy anyways. Oh, well,
0: thank you. Thank you, Dave. And I uh no no one I it's weird. I actually have so many new listeners now that, that don't know me in real life. So it's always um it's it's interesting to get feedback from people because they only know me through my twitter and my my podcast and it's like uh, when i talk to some of the, some of my friends like you that that have actually listened to the show and you guys get to actually learn more about me through the show i feel like the same thing's going to happen to you that a lot of our friends are going to get to learn so much more about you so um, I hope you don't mind that. I hope that. Oh you're okay. no, that
1: terrifies me. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. I'm 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 quite a private person, folks.
0: Yeah, I know. But
1: uh, but that's all right. It's a new me. Uh,
0: well, I hope you found it therapeutic, and I I uh, I think that it's it's always good to um you know get your push yourself, you know, get yourself out there, push your boundaries of comfortability. I think that it'll, it'll be valuable to a lot of people that listen because ultimately very few people on this planet have got to experience what you've experienced. And I think that getting an in-depth explanation and an understanding and the heart and the emotion behind it is really valuable. Um, I I've wanted to know more about your service and your experience for years. You, you briefly opened up to me, uh, last weekend and I was, it was awesome. I was so glad to, to hear more of what you've gone through, um, and what you've accomplished. And I just think that it's it takes a lot of courage to talk about it, especially in hindsight. Um, so, I mean, God bless you, man.
1: <laughs> Thanks, dude. And I, I, I think the only, uh, in parting, I think uh, one, I got to come back on sometime because there's a couple other pieces that we could probably share that would be interesting. But for two, sure. I think in today's world, like the biggest thing I could say from all of that, because we, we really didn't get into like a, a whole lot of kind of kind of the work through like what, what does that look like to be able to, to look back and learn from like a really traumatic experience like that. Um, and, and that it, it requires a lot of work, um, if, if I'm honest. But I think the biggest thing that, that just is crushing me in today's world and, and we see it and you talk about it that the fear, it's our response to the fear of what's going on right now. And it's yep. everybody, everybody's desire kinda to put those guns up and like to feel secure in the fact that, hey, I've, I've got my guns out, I've got my knives out, I'm ready to hit back like whenever anything comes. But I feel like all, all that's really going on is like we just keep like hitting each other back and mm-hmm. like protests, politics, you know, any any all of the very important things that we talk about that change nations, that change future and all that, all of those are just, they're just mechanisms to get to the table. They're just mechanisms to sit down and try and have a civil conversation with folks. And I feel like in America, we've kind of forgotten that. We've gotten caught up in the emotion that feels good to be punching people. Yep. And it's like, it's great. But we, we if we never sit down at the table, we don't get anywhere. You know? that
0: That's the hard part, though, is that... The capacity for civil conversation is almost gone, and, you know?
1: and that's what I—that's what I worry about. Like yeah, we, and we could—oh man—we could go on for a half hours on that one because yeah. I do think we are approaching an apex of like, for sure. It's either we either we kind of calm down or we don't go back. Yeah, um, and it, and it scares the death out of me. Like if I'm honest, like
0: I, I hear you, man. I I remember uh, some of our text conversations when the lockdown first happened. And I was probably as panicked as any person on this planet because I understood the economic ramifications and you understood the,
1: I, I, I was equally panicked because I understood the societal ramifications. Exactly. Like you, what happens if this wonderful thing we call America falls apart?
0: Exactly. And and for those that don't know, Dave spent some time in Africa as well. So uh, combined, you've seen a lot of different levels of civilization as to like the stability aspect and, I know that you were sensing the same lack of stability that I was and I was I was sensing it for purely economic reasons but I, I could sense also a, a discontent amongst people and a divide that I had never experienced in my life I couldn't believe how just 180 degrees we we were viewing this as a civilization half of people saying stay home or you are kill your grandma the other half going fuck you I'm gonna live my life and it's just like I mean, there was no meeting of the minds whatsoever,
1: right? And 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 then like, and and what do you do? You know, I, mean, I I can remember the specific moment that you speak about where, you know, I I feel like I I think I was in Walmart, yeah, and I hadn't really <laughs> paid that much attention that to takes, what was going on, dude. That takes
0: scared the shit out of me,
1: and and all of a sudden I realized that like the entire world was just acting a little bit strangely. And then I realized it wasn't the entire world was acting a little bit strangely. It was just like all of America was acting very scared. Yep. And I felt like I was walking down the street of somewhere. Like it, I wasn't in America. And and I realized, again, I've, I've done a lot of, you know, it, a lot of self-research and self-academia. I will never claim to be a professional. Not yet. <laughs> I, I am in the process. But on like fear and what it does to the brain and how people respond and and it was scary because I saw a bunch of scared people around me and in in America like we haven't really experienced that we're not really a country that has any kind of societal history of how do we respond when there's this unknown fear and uncertainty and you you, I mean you said how we respond we take sides because because that's what we do right we're American we fight you know we fight but we're taking sides against a non-existent threat you know and not non-existent in the sense that like it's not a threat but in the sense that it's not it's unknown. It's invisible. It's it's you. It's me. It's all yeah. of us. And and you and, also
0: can't take up arms against the virus. Uh, so. Yeah.
1: And 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 nobody, you know, nobody really like told us what to do either. And America's very used to getting told what to do. Honestly, like we are, and so we now see like all of the weaknesses of this country. To be honest, and, yeah. And and we're we're it is manifesting in some very strange ways. I I and, was stunned.
0: And, I was stunned. Honestly, I I, I honestly thought that we are a much more galvanized society and to realize first and foremost that people were were willing to sacrifice all of their freedoms for a relatively benign virus, a virus that was almost completely non-lethal to young people, and to just be like, Yeah, well we're gonna have everyone quarantine. And it's like we're not gonna we're not gonna quarantine the ill, not the sick, not those that are in jeopardy, not those with you know comorbidities comorbid- that might actually die from this thing. We're gonna make everyone stay home indefinitely. And I was like, uh, America, <laughs> hello, <laughs> is this still America? And and the crazy thing is, like, I was willing, particularly when they said it was 15 days to slow the spread. I was like, sure, 15 days, you got it, no problem. Then they said six weeks, and I was like, you know what? That's a little bit fucked up. You still, you got it. I'll stay home. Then they're like, uh, it could be 2022 before we get back to real life, and I was like, fuck you. I mean, and I think, I think you hit the nail on the head when you really talked about
1: the two week moment. And if I, if I, if I try to be kind of the the bar room, like let's analyze society. At that point, I I think where, where you view it is you kind of broken the social cons like contract with with the government, you yep. know, that we assume we have in America, and and I don't think anybody really like the. the the average person who, who hasn't like kind of been through some conflict and some like governments falling apart and things like that, you don't really understand it because it's just always been there. You know, it's always been there that yeah. the government will provide me with these things and like these things will happen and I can trust in it and, and it'll be okay. And so I think if if it had been, please stay in your houses for two weeks, here's the plan, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. There's some intent behind this your sacrifices are leading towards something right and actually actually i, very, I dislike the word sacrifice if you unpack that word it's like but your your inconveniences in life you know you're giving up of things are, are leading towards something i think society would have you know american society would have been much more responsive to it you know it would have been okay yep. or or the exact opposite hey go the other way and say hey we're not locking down like you do things like protect yourself as you see fit. Problem is we just kind of like walked in the gray area and it's because we we have no, like the country hasn't been put in the spot. Like we've never, we haven't really been put to the grindstone ever. Like not in a hundred years. Not since, yeah, World War II. Like yeah. that's, and even then it wasn't like no. not on our soil. I
0: mean, I mean the only example I can think of is the Spanish flu and that was in 1917, I think. So it was basically a hundred years ago that yeah. that we actually had mass sacrifice. And even in that moment with a flu that was far deadlier we still didn't ask everyone to quarantine. We only quarantined the sick. So it's I, I agree with you. Had had they laid out a game plan and they sold me with the science of it and they said, hey, this is what we're dealing with. It's going to be a real pain in the ass and we understand the economic ramifications, which they never said, and I fucking yes. hated that. Yep. But they, they said, okay, two weeks, 15 days, that's what we need from you. And then after that, they said, we're doing better, but we need a month. And I was like, okay, I guess. I mean, I wish you had told me six weeks up front because oh, I, right. I would respect this more. But when the goalposts keep shifting, I don't know how so, so many of these people are willing to accept whatever the new metric is and whatever the new uh, Fauci statement is. Well,
1: let's, let's, so let's, let's unpack that for a second. Like sure. what, what you're saying right now is, is you're like given a certainty and then it was removed. You're given another certainty. You're given expectations and it was removed. So I think, like at at a societal level, that the certainties and uncertainties are where we really have gotten ourselves in a lot of trouble. Um, and, Tremendously, and it's, and it's because like our brains are just not made for it. Like we're, yeah. we're really we're not like we're not made to be scared and then told to not be scared, to be scared and be told not to be scared, to be scared. But we've been it,
0: doing that to ourselves for twenty years, even with the war on terror, with the fucking color coding.
1: Yes, I don't
0: know why it's like they're they're like running an op on like how to manipulate society and keep us fucking scared. It it or it's unintentional and it's just horribly poorly done you know like i don't know which
1: i think we and oh man and I'm, I'm stepping into like the depths of what i don't even understand my own viewpoint on it yet but like i i think we just we just got something wrong as a society so far like there's there's it, well, no like, we didn't even get something wrong we're just to a point where we have to do better Yeah. like and it's and it's because the Combination of you know worldwide communications with you know what's happening with the planet and with resources with all of these things it's it's like it's time where right? you yeah. just have to do better.
0: Yeah, well it, the the macro environment has changed so dramatically with the technological revolution that it's like, of course our our old way of doing things is not going to work perfectly right. in this new modern society this technological revolution that we're all all living through that we're all kind of guinea pigs for. I'm just so i'm so concerned that we have this incredibly outdated governmental system that's supposed to manage us through this transition it's like good fucking luck dude like that's not gonna work
1: oh no i like i'm i'm terrified of <laughs> all of that like, i don't know. You know if i'm know. honest here's this aware where i like uh not even i don't know where i find peace it's just i don't know enough about it um like, I, I feel like, like I know about, I know, I know societies pretty well. I know people pretty well. I know like the way people respond to things pretty well, like threats yeah. and fear and all of that. I, I don't know. I don't know long-term government infrastructure or the economy. Um, and I think, I think where we kind of get ourselves in trouble is like, we don't really like look at all of these things put together and right. we haven't really like in a really long, I, I don't know. Um, uh, and now all of a sudden we have all these new external factors that, that flip everything on its head too. Uh, we have both and technology
0: and the virus combined and then all this the warfare. I mean, it's, there's so many variables.
1: I, I, I Honestly, I don't... I don't and, and then the national oh man, debt Oh man, too. For, for everybody out there, like I, I, late at night and I'm throwing out random uh, predictions here. But I, I don't think it's a government... I don't think the solution isn't a government thing. I don't, like I don't it's know. Not, it's a society, like it's a societal conscience that we have to like... We have to make the decision whether we want to like decide we're all gonna like fight each other for lack of better terms, which I'm not saying that's the wrong answer. Like I, d- I don't know, or whether we're gonna decide like, hey, let's like let's go compromise our own and go all in on like. Oh, all those oh okay. Stuff. I mean Com- I, I don't I don't know what it looks like. I don't See,
0: I think I think there's a third option that you're not you're not adding in there is the I don't even know if you've heard this term, but I'm I'm anarcho-capitalist, so I'm basically an anarchist. I, I think that government as it's well, it's certainly a natural development of man It's not necessarily the most beneficial Organization for man Whereas I think that that Respecting the individual, having individual rights Basically the bill of rights is a very Important document, however I would like to have it on a Person by person level where I enforce My own bill of rights, you can't take my Property, I defend myself And I think that that's kind of the direction that we have To decide to go in We have two paths in my opinion We have, well three, one we go the same direction that we've been going, which is not working. Okay. We can all admit that. Two, we find some way to, to regalvanize society, where we we come together, we have a meeting of the minds. I don't see that happening, however, I'm not going to count it out because miracles happen. you know And the third option is to say, peaceful secession. you know, let let us go our own way, realize that that there is no tying back this this Balkanized society where Half of the people believe Donald Trump is Jesus, and the other half believe that he's literally Satan. And it's like, how do you tie those people back together? I don't. I don't see a way personally. Joe Biden is not going to fucking unify the Trump supporters. You know, it's no, it's, I mean, it's, I, I it's I not going to happen. I mean, so
1: you're seeing everything that's like daggers to my heart. I mean, I, <laughs> well, like, I don't. I, I don't it's mean the state of the world, and I want your option two that you just said, where like yeah. we regalvanize a society, we figure it out. Cause, I, like, cause, I'm cause with like, you. My thing is the option three, like. I don't think it doesn't it doesn't work with a lot of pain and heartache and trauma and like I, a lot I agree. of really bad things. I agree. Um,
0: but you know what? The the current path is a lot of heartache and trauma, but it's not for us as much as it is for the rest of the world. And I think that that's, that's my concern with modern American society is that, well, we've been at war for my entire life, basically. I don't feel any of it. You know, like, all I do is I contribute with my tax dollars and people die, you know? And it's like, that, that kills me that well, I can be a participant in a, in a system that is wreaking havoc in a lot of places. I feel no different, you know, in terms of my day to day. Like I feel it because I'm, yep. I'm more, I'm one of those people that like is a macro anal- no, analyzing type. Yeah, but
1: but if you wanted to put blinders on, like it doesn't matter. Most, yeah.
0: most people in America yeah. don't ever think about it. Yeah. They, like they wouldn't even know. And And that's an interesting question for you. Do you. Do you look at the American people that have been here the entire time and feel any sort of animosity towards them for like, cause you guys go over there and you're sacrificing you're at war and the people at home, they don't, we don't even know, like we don't even have a concept of it. We don't, we don't have to sacrifice anything. Like what's, what's your perspective on that? I don't think I've ever, or have you just not thought I, about it?
1: I don't, you know, I don't think I've ever disliked anybody okay. in terms of like, oh, you should go do this too. Oh sure, uh, sure. yeah. Uh, like, never had any of that. I was very, I was very self-sacrificing, like, like in a destructive standpoint, like <laughs> in the military, to be honest. But, uh no, not really. Um, no, I, I, I just don't. It's really never been, ever been like a sticking point.
0: For well, me. Th- yeah, no, and and that's fair. It's just for me, it it would seem as if like I'm giving my life to this government.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know. Like it, it. I would say, like, I think the. Uh, Oh, good segue folks. He's good at what he does. (laughs) Um, I think the discomfort specific discomfort I felt recently, and this is actually, this is an interesting concept. Uh, Um, people are going to dislike me when I say this, I have never actually voted. Um, my I'm, justification in that... I've never
0: voted for anybody that won, so we're, uh, we're in the same
1: boat. Yeah, my my justification <laughs> in that is is I I'm I was a resident of Arizona the entire time I was in the military, and, and I was red then, and red, Arizona always votes red. And then I got out of the military, and I got to California, and I think I threw in my hat with blue, and, then, <laughs> and during that time it was blue. So. It didn't matter. didn't matter. I mean, I don't agree. I don't really agree with that anymore, but it's, it's kind of the standpoint I was at. But sure. moral of the story, now I realize I kind of always said like, I'll go fight. Like, I'll go do all of this stuff. Like, I'll go, you know, because I, I, to be honest, it was like it was an esteem thing. And that's a whole nother, like, conversation of my developmental and mental health and all of these, like, you know, stuff, sure. stuff. But moral of it was I, I, I really, I trusted America to kind of run itself. It was like, I'll go do this. I'll go, like potentially give my life for you because you know, there's people that are smarter than me that are doing this. So I never really took a side, if that makes sense. I was always on the side of America, Yeah. you know, and you never need to take a side because America always wins. You know, it's like, I love America, you know, America. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that was me in high school.
0: I feel you, you
1: know, and by the the way, I still feel that way. Yeah. In the last like nine months, it's probably only the last month I've identified what it was, but all of a sudden everybody is taking sides, Yeah. but nobody really talks about it.
0: Yeah. And then,
1: and then to cap it off, everybody's wearing masks. And that's where I realized like, it's just getting, it's getting very strange. And,
0: and and you can't even blame people for feeling a a, a lack of empathy for others when you can't see their fucking face.
1: No, no. And that's, and that's where I think we often like a big, a big part of what I did in the military was like being very, like trying to be observant of, of like people's responses on things. Right. you You learn a lot from like what somebody does. And I think what it, what it has done, both in a healthy and unhealthy standpoint, has made me quite sensitive to like the way people respond to me. I've seen a significant change in people that like, especially acquaintances, you know, since, since the whole COVID piece. Yeah. And, and then obviously with the elections coming up, but I think it all just, it all fuels. And then every other hot topic that has fallen in between then and now that, you know, we have new one every, like it's bad. Yep. Uh, and all of a sudden, like nobody really wants to talk about whether or not you took side, you, you, which side you're on, because you know it's it's like it's America. And we don't talk about those things. We try and just be nice, unless we're screaming about them. Yeah. Like we don't rationally talk about them. So everybody's just kind of been tiptoeing with masks on around everybody. Yep. For a really long time, until we finally took all the masks off and we all started screaming at each other. <laughs> and now we're just kind of like either masks on, like let's tiptoe and not act like this is really affecting the fact that like. All of the indicators I normally get from you on, like, the way we interact are now gone. Right. And I can't get close to you. And there's no really, like, for sure whether it's right or wrong to wear a mask or to touch you or to see you or to be in your presence. All of those things combined, just, it's, it's a shit show for yeah. people, like, getting along. Well, literally.
0: Yeah. And it's it's, in my opinion, the country was already on fire just because of the absolute hatred for Donald Trump. And, yes, and
1: the polarization, regardless of what side you're on, I don't care what side you're exactly. on. You know? the yeah. polarization of it, we're on fire. Like
0: him or hate him, I don't care. The country was on fire because of it, and the the lockdowns, and then the mass, and everything else in between, just threw fuel on it. Like it, so haphazardly, it's almost astonishing to me that they would allow. Assume Fauci's exactly right, and that everything he said has been the best of his information, and he was doing the best he could it is still so detrimental in this environment. Like I can't imagine not having someone in that room that would say to him, Hey man, our country's not in a position that we could actually do what you're recommending. Like I, it's so bizarre to me that they would allow an epidemiologist to just dictate what everybody does throughout the nation and not have someone in that room to tell him, Hey man, can't do that. Like no matter what we need to do we can't do it it'll be too detrimental to, to the fabric of society itself even if it even if it saves 100,000 lives which i don't think that his shit has actually done that but given the best count he said there was going to be 2 million deaths there's only been 200,000 even though i think there's only been like 20,000 but um, even if you give him all of that credit it's still in my view the long-term ramifications of Balkanizing this country in the way that they've done by these lockdown policies is going to be far far more lethal than this virus ever could have, and that's that's what concerns me so much. I wanted to say one thing briefly. You said I, I never considered, um, you know, running the country. I just assumed smarter people than me were doing it. I, I have really bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> the people running the country aren't smarter than you and I. I oh, they're, I know. they're really not, and I think that's that's the harshest realization, especially as I've gotten older and you know i manage millions of dollars that's my, that's what i do professionally for you know very wealthy people and what i've realized is like i'm a reasonably intelligent person but i'm definitely not the smartest person on the planet what you what you learn about society is that almost everybody's dumb <laughs> and and the people at the top are also dumb and everybody's like you can't imagine i can't uh, i can't possibly believe knowing what i know now that having a top down governmental structure makes sense because you just have to pray to god that you end up with some like almost godlike figure that's going to do things for the right reason and not hurt others and you know it's just it's not it's not going to work <laughs> not long term i mean i would
1: say you pray for god <laughs> yeah, well. or you pray to the society that we, we choose rationally and i and i think this is this is where like again
0: like but if the choices we're, we're are Biden really, or Trump, can no, you be a rational I know, I know, I know. decision we're, we're, maker? We're
1: really angry, and, <laughs> and and here's here's the problem. And you know, I I learned this after spending you know the better part of my young adult life as a raging alcoholic, and then the last like you know three and a half years of not being an alcoholic or trying not to. Uh, there are consequences to making stupid decisions, and as a country, we have been making stupid decisions yeah. for a, a decent amount time. of time now. Yeah. And these are the consequences, and and you know anybody who like, we can we can complain about it, and but like, I don't I, I, I mean I don't know I don't know what we do, um I will tell you this like the question about Fauci like you, you did hit on me like. The direct reason like all of that happens, and this is like, this is my particular like let's jump into the deep end on like experience from the military that is that is because we didn't have a leader. That is, that is exactly that is the exact reason, you know, in the post-revolutionary war, we defined a reason to have a president of the, you know, we made up the term president, you know, what? like Americans, like, it, it was not, no, it was not a, it was not a term of uh, like, authority until we coined it. We intentionally used that because we wanted to make it sound not that important, like, literally to make like, the president of America sound not that important. That way they didn't get too much power. I love it. <laughs> right makes sense unfortunately yeah now again we've made stupid decisions right. the reason you have a president is to try and like apply some compassion and logical sense to those situations where you have somebody like fauci and then you bring in the top I, again i'm well out of my depth here folks don't crucify me you bring in the top economist you bring in all of these individuals who are way smarter than you are because you're the president you're not an economist you're you're just a good people person who can like manage people and kind of make rational decisions yeah. with like Hopefully, a compassionate. You're the head con man, and all of it, you know, all of these things. You're not a borderline narcissist. <laughs> label everything else that, like, professionals have declared our current commander in chief to be. And I don't mean to like war bait it. These are just facts.
0: No, no, I agree. It, the problem is, even if all right. So, say Trump is supposed to be that leader, that that filled that vacuum that we needed. And I agree, we could have used some leadership in that in that period. Because I mean, other
1: countries. Made it through this without... I mean, they're they're in bad shape.
0: Some of them, but, some of them did really well. But you got to keep in mind, too, they had experience with SARS totally, in, in totally. Asia. And yeah, we didn't yeah, have that experience. Yeah,
1: so. yep. and, we, and we won't admit that we're like new kids on the block in the yeah. world. And, and we, we are. Like, yeah.
0: When it comes to viral response, we were. So that, I have a hard time really shitting on Trump for that because it's like... I, I don't personally believe that some other president would have been like, okay... We heard about this virus in late november mid december we 're locking down flights from, from Oh, no China. I, I,
1: yeah i mean like, I, I think we have to give everybody involved like in, in the entire world yeah. a great but, degree of leeway and compassion on the fact that like nobody'd ever seen this before so how do you how do you, how do you judge a response to something that there 's no historical context to respond to
0: yeah you know? and and also how can Trump be the leader say say he is a decent leader, maybe he is. But in an environment where the media has told you he's a racist, bigoted asshole for fucking four years, can you expect him to lead successfully in that environment? Like, I don't think he could have. So no.
1: Again, consequences of poor societal choices.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's it
1: sounds like a cop out. It sounds minimizing. But like, it's the only it's the only real like reason we're in this situation. But now it's like, what do we do now? You know, like what's it's yeah. like, and and does that mean we? Can't trust society to make those decisions anymore. Well, I I don't know, (laughs) and that—that's
0: where you come come around to me on the anarchy, (laughs) Uh, because I I don't I don't I believe that democracy is the tyranny of the majority. I think that ultimately, just because fifty one percent of the country says something's a good idea, fifty one percent of the country, as you've learned over the past six months, could tell you to stay in your house and you know not kiss your wife and not wear a mask and not send your kids to school for fucking years on years on years. I am not okay with that. I believe in the rights of the individual, so I would rather them not have a say over my life. Um, anyways, I know that you have been uh, working on writing recently. I will plug that once once you get a handle on uh, on where you're going with that and your social media and stuff like that. So um, I know you probably don't have much to add in terms of that, but
1: no, I, I think uh, I, I I appreciate that, and I think I will I will get get ready to plug here in the near future. I yeah. Think, uh, it's it's about time I've uh, I, well got I read a decent uh, amount of life and uh, you know we'll get some down on paper. Well, I,
0: I, I read uh, that piece you sent me. I don't know, six months ago or whatever it was, and it was phenomenal. Honestly, God, like you're a really gifted writer, so I, I really hope you pursue it. And uh, I appreciate you coming on.
1: Thanks, man. That uh, that means a lot to me. Awesome. Thanks for the time.
0: Absolutely. Thank you guys. Uh, this is Liberty Lux. I will check you guys next time. We're up. Thank you all so much for listening to that lengthy episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Dave is working on his first novel Which I think will be I don't know the title And I don't know the ETA for completion But let me tell you I read the first chapter And a little bit of the second And it is spectacular He's one of the best writers I have ever read Ever Much less known So I cannot wait for him to complete it I can't wait for you guys to be able to check it out I will absolutely update you once that's available Um, But I also wanted to uh, thank those of you that left five-star reviews on iTunes. I can't tell you how much it helps the show to grow, and I do this all for free. It's a passion of mine, so you guys are awesome for doing that. It continues to you know, grow episode after episode. The, the listenership is increasing exponentially, and I cannot just emphasize enough how meaningful it is to me. So here's some of the reviews. Uh, at FreeDuck5, who is an avid listener. He said, Good stuff, Libertarian Thought. I've been binging on your podcast, and I have literally woken up with your last opening music playing inside my head. This is not the type of music I listen to. I am sorry that the intro is a white guy rapping. I'm sure that is unpleasant for many people. But you know what? I like it, so... (laughs) Thanks for listening, man. Uh, Give him a follow. Uh, We got JJ Young, 1983... Five stars, refreshing. Dude's on point, not selling anything either. You're correct. I get paid nothing for this. Can you believe it? What a bargain. Give him a follow. And then we got Feudal Skeptic. He said, an awesome pod for small L libertarians. Clint does an amazing job dissecting this week's misery with rational and humorous commentary without becoming an ideological servant to any political groups. Unlike many other pods, unfortunately. This podcast is the voice of an extremely extremely underrepresented political faction of Americans in 2020. Uh, or, excuse me, 2020. People who actually want the government out of their lives and aren't just libertarianism as a prop. LP Hem Hem. Five out of five. His Twitter is at Feudal Skeptic. Fair warning. My tweets are impulsive and are often retarded. I doubt that. I'll give you a follow, buddy. And it looks like we got one more review, and that is The Fable. He said, Solid, principled, and honest. Liberty Lockdown is a breath of fresh air in podcasting, always saying the quiet part out loud, which is much appreciated in these wild times. Keep up the solid work, and his uh, handle is at Telling Fable F A B E L. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, I can't tell you how much it helps to grow the show. So please keep them coming in, and I will uh, read them off probably once a month, if not more often than that. So if I keep getting this many, I'll read them off every episode. It it really helps grow, and seeing as I'm all about getting the message out there, and I'm not financ- financing or uh, financially benefiting from any of this. The message is all that matters. Talk to you next time. We're out.